This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and I uh, hope you're having a great day so far. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff Simpson, Terry South, along for the ride as well. The gang's all here, folks. We're locked and loaded. It's time to uh, start another day, another day of excitement. Today we're going to be talking about cash. Is it falling out of fashion? Is it just not in vogue anymore to carry cash? Yeah, I haven't carried cash in years. Either way. I don't. I, my wife says, you don't need cash. Yeah. She, yeah, she said that for years. Like, hey, cash is overrated. For me, it's more because I just don't have any money. Oh. Period. Yeah. So sorry about that. It's uh it's cash day. Is it is it cool to carry cash anymore? Like now you have Venmo. We even pay for like our tennis lessons through Venmo. We do a lot of stuff through Venmo. Venmo? Mm-hmm. So it's like a it's like a PayPal. But the scary thing about Venmo and PayPal, I guess these aren't regulated by the government. Not the same rules. Yeah. Hmm. So it's uh, they don't have the same banking rules, I don't think. It's just, we'll hold your cash. Wild West. You know, we'll I pass it through. I wonder if homeless people find it much more difficult to earn money when people aren't carrying around as much cash anymore. Well, yeah. Now you have to have a like a square or one of those devices to transact through a credit. I always say, I'd love to give. I just don't have any cash. Yeah, what if they, they pull out a out. smartphone? Hey, oh, I no can problem. Take, I can take Square Cash. Give an American Express. Pay through Square Cash. <laughs> ching, ching. Good stuff. Yeah. So uh, we'll be talking about cash today. Also, uh, I don't want to be an alarmist, but... Which is something someone says right before they say something alarming. Go yeah. ahead. I'm pretty sure the world is over. No, no, no. It is not. Nah, I think it is. Like... The moon mm-hmm. was orange. Orange. That's because half the West is apparently on fire, and all that smoke is blowing our way. Is it? Is it that? Is. is that it? Yeah. Or is it that it's slowly turning to blood red? No, mm-hmm. no, no. No. Sometimes the moon just likes to get a little tan. Man, the a little moon, spray tan. It's. It looked great. Bright. It looked like a tangerine. It's the latest Trump initiative. Everything must be orange. <laughs> or it's the harvest moon. Could have eaten a little bit early. Could or, have eaten too many carrots. Mm. Maybe. Or it's the end of the world. No, it's probably just fire, fires in the west. Yeah. Well, fires were. in the west. That's one of my favorite country music oh, songs. By the song. way, Johnny Cash. I think. Second. Yeah. Fires in the west. Um, I I'm pretty sure. I again, I'm not an alarmist. What I is don't... your evidence for the in, for this being the apparent end times, according to Matt Townsend? Okay. Uh, do you want me, where do you want me to start? Just I'm, wherever. Federal government. Well, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's not end times. That's just according to Putin, North Korea is probably not a solvable issue. Yeah. According yeah. to our government, it's the same thing. Y- yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, floods. Right. Uh, rumors of floods and rumors of wars. True. These are true. I don't think rumors of floods is in there. It's. I just made that up. But okay. we have a rumor of a flood with uh, 
with Hurricane Irma. Don't forget. Tropical Ho- Storm Irma. No, it's a hurricane. It's a Hurricane 5 now. <laughs> yeah, Irma. They, it doesn't go any higher than 5, I found out. 5 is the highest classification for a hurricane. They've never reached a 6. Well, but you've, you've met a 5-year-old kid, right? Yeah. And that's why. And then there's Jose behind Irma. <gasps> really? Yeah, but it's probably going to spin off into the Atlantic somewhere. But, like, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Puerto Rico's about to get pegged. Yes. It, mm. Irma is heading straight for Puerto Rico. Right. And they're already closing a base at Key West. Mm. 5,000 workers in Key West, which you know what that means. Everyone's going to the beach. Today? Mm. For a little bit. Just get the last <laughs> little beach in. Everyone wants those waves, just the first waves, and oh, then yeah, they yeah, all yeah. leave. Then you take off. Then it gets crazy. So uh, rumors of wars, rumors of okay. flooding. Rumors, storms. Okay. Uh, well, here's another one, not uh-huh. to get anecdotal. Oh. Uh, my wife found a lot of bugs coming in one of our windows. Okay. There you go. So now we have pestilence. pestilence. Are they locusts? <laughs> I didn't I didn't taste them. Are I they lo- loci? Locum. Do you do you typically have to taste the bug to know what That's it is? How, yeah. Are okay. they are locusts they, are they low honey. key? Yeah. That, that'd I, be I, yeah. Anywho, um, See, I'm, I not, tried I'm not. Comic books there, but I'm not trying. Work. He's just to, moving right on. Yeah. I'm not trying to worry anybody. I just want you to get ready. That's quite alarming. Mm-hmm. What you just said there. Yeah. Or wars and rumors of wars and floods and rumors of but floods. But isn't there always this going on? Mm, it feels different. Really? Because it's happening here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's. I think it's just the Trump effect. Monsoon season in Asia has. As several countries swamped yeah. at the moment. Yeah. When I say the world might be over, I'm just saying our world. You mean like your Western world? Your, oh, okay, gotcha. your world. My world. Your might personal be world. You don't wake up to an orange moon very often. Just saying. And people say, "Hey, it's just a fire." Yeah. I don't know. I can't see a fire, hmm. and I can't smell a fire. Hmm. But I do read the paper, and there's a lot of fires out there. So anyway, I'm just just throwing that out there. Don't want to be scary. Just too late. Pack your bags. Pack your bags. <laughs> Hunker down. So, uh, so we're talking cash. And by the way, and, and, it's, and cash is no longer in vogue. It's no longer cool. Right now, you're kind of a geek if you carry cash. Is the term in vogue in vogue anymore? Mm. Great question. Yeah. Check that out. Look up in vogue. Just ask Google. Is in vogue in vogue? Actually, go use your Echo <laughs> or your uh, what's it called? Yeah, your it's echo. an echo. Your yeah. echo. 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 Up next, uh, we're going to be talking about headlines. Of course, the best person to handle the headlines would be the person that actually reads the news. Right. Terry South. What's going on around the rest of the country? Attorney General Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. Let's use his full name here. <laughs> announced Tuesday that the Trump administration is ending the Obama era deferred action for childhood arrivals and immigration policy. Sessions noted that there will be a wind down period to give Congress time to pass legislation to replace the program. Sessions said President Obama imposed on congressional powers when he created the program through executive order in 2012. The compassionate thing is to end the lawlessness, enforce our laws, and if Congress chooses to make changes to those laws, to do so through the process set forth by our founders in a way that advances the interests of the nation, Sessions said. Hmm. Ahead of the announcement, Trump tweeted that it was up to Congress to address the program, which protects nearly 800,000 undocumented youth from deportation. Um... Kansas Secretary, former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, 
I don't know if he's current or former, but he's someone that they bring out to represent the Republican yeah, viewpoint. Someone connected to the uh, Secretary of He had a blunter message for the affected young people known as Dreamers. Mm. Uh, go home and get in line. Oh, brother. That was on MSNBC yesterday. So, Boy. It's compassionate. Compassionate conservative. And it was so important that uh, the president who made the decision had somebody else make the announcement that affects 800,000 people. In this well, it's, he's just really kicking the ball back to Congress, right? Right. And then because didn't he just recently say so? And then if Congress doesn't fill, figure it out, then I'll review it again in six months. Yes, he'll revisit it, yes. Which basically he's playing both sides of the fence He's here. trying to have it both ways, yes. Mm. And Congress is so efficient at the moment, they're going to take care of taxes. They're going to probably have to cover two hurricanes recovery programs oh. with Irma probably hitting Florida. And then you have... Uh, and they're going to gum up Harvey by simply yeah. trying to say that we can Death add more money to the debt. Yeah. Yeah. So they have probably like seven things they have to get done. I read somewhere that there's less than 60 days between now and the end of the year where both houses of Congress are in session at the same time. Yeah. See, by the way, so does this not make my earlier position that maybe the world's over because I saw an orange moon today? Could be. See, something's up there. Or there's smoke in the air. Hurricane Irma, as we said, hit Category 5 strength early Tuesday. Forecasters declared warning the approaching storm path is putting it on a direct course for South Florida later in the week. Weather crews detected winds as high as 175 miles per hour as Puerto Rico and Virgin Island officials Urge residents to take shelter as the monster storm approaches. Irma is the strongest storm on record in the Atlantic since Hurricane Felix in 2007. Wow. And there is no, as I said, no Category 6. 185 mile an hour winds. 175 at the moment. Do you know what that would do to a comb over? (laughs) (laughs) Or to... That would definitely blow your head off. Yeah. It might blow your head off. Could Mm -hmm. do that too. Scary. I found this story interesting. Two Miami businessmen who work for a major U.S. importer of South American gold pled guilty Tuesday in a $3.6 billion money laundering case that has shaken up the nation's precious metals industry. In plea deals, Sam Barrage and Juan Granda uh, admitted in Miami federal court that they imported illegally mined gold from Peru and other South American countries into the United States in a revised money laundering conspiracy case that could send them to prison for up to 10 years. It was 20, but, you know, they're going to cooperate. So only 10 years. Wow. Prosecutors assert that the defendants bought billions of dollars worth of gold from illegal mines in the Amazon rainforest, arranged to refine the precious metals, sold the gold here in the U.S., and then wired the proceeds back to drug traffickers and other criminals in South America, according to the complaint summarized. Uh, the conspiracy case. Narco traffickers and other criminals financed the clandestine operation to convert their cocaine profits into cash, according to prosecutors, Whoa. who did not charge the three defendants with any offenses with dru- dealing with the drugs, just the money laundering. So, in other words, drug cartels were laundering money with gold oh. stolen from the Amazon Smart. through the U.S., and then yeah. they send the money back. See, so this is, see, again, this goes to our cash issue. Yeah. Why do you need cash when they don't even money launder with cash anymore? Because just gold. It's just gold, yeah. Yeah. Just gold. <laughs> I'm reading that. I'm like, it started out really kind of a slow burn on the story, and then at the end it turned into drug trafficking. You're like, whoa. This got intense. Crazy. You just it's thought, that's going to be turned into a movie. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of different mm-hmm. elements to that one. And finally, the Boston Red Sox have reportedly used an Apple, iWatch, Apple, uh, Apple Watch to steal signs, including pitching types, 
from opposing teams. The New York Times reports that Major League Baseball has determined that the team executed a scheme to illicitly steal hand signals from opponents' catchers in games against the, uh, the second-place New York Yankees and other teams. The Red Sox, who were in first place in the American League East Division, were allegedly probed after the Yankees' general manager, Brian Cashman, filed a formal complaint. The Times reports that the Red Sox eventually admitted to the scheme, but on Tuesday the team filed a complaint alleging that the Yankees used their TV network cameras to steal signs. Whoa. 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 Them's fighting so words. What, what the Red Sox were doing is they had their video team out in the stands. Yeah. Okay. As all teams do, they have people out there record. I mean, you, then you use those to well, it's scout. for social media. Well, it's for scouting down the road so you can see what a pitcher's doing. Right. It's all legal to do that, but what's illegal is when your video team is like watching the hand signals and then texting a oh, member. So uh, the someone text on, came in on the phone, yeah, on you, the you, watch. You text one of the staffers on the bench. I thought they weren't allowed to have. Any it's, tech on them. It's the electronics that's the issue. Yeah, he's you, not allowed to have an You Apple. can try to sit there and observe signs and see what's going on. Right. But when they start, like, texting each other, like, okay, that's a fastball. Okay, here's a, here comes a curve, you know, and they're texting back and forth. And then the guy on the bench is telling the players and they're signaling people on the field as to what's happening. That's the problem. So, so if, of course, you retaliate by accusing your accuser mm-hmm. of doing the same thing. It's brilliant. So if you ever see a pitcher just very concentrate, he's very much concentrating on his glove, getting ready for the windup. Maybe he's got something in the like his he's, iPhone, he's or he's probably, looking at his yeah. Apple yeah, Watch. Yeah, that's what they're looking at, huh? Yeah. So so uh, when does Bill Belichick get involved? That's football. Yeah, and but, he already got in trouble for using his film team to do something similar. <laughs> what is going on? They're getting. I guess they're smartening up. They're using all this new tech now. As I as one of my favorite uh, television shows that deal with philosophy once said, hold, 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 "It's hold, not what show is this South Park? It's not cheating. Yeah, until you get caught. Oh, wow. before that, it's just being savvy. It's a good point. Well, no, that's not a good point." I didn't say it was right. I just said it's a good point. <laughs> it's just it's always cheating when you're cheating, whether you're caught or not. Mm, is it? What's going on in Boston that they feel this need to use their video equipment so much, whether it's yeah. the Red Sox or the Patriots? This is true. Maybe why, they thought, hey, the Patriots won why some can't they be Super like, Bowls. Yeah, why can't they be like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? And just not win for – Years on years? Exactly. Okay. Kind of What's sad. the big deal? I mean, why can't they be more like the Buffalo Bills? You name two teams that as an avid watcher of football, I turn the channel when they come I on. Know. I'm like, eh, not watching that one. What's the big deal? You don't need to cheat to make football or baseball. BYU could have used some cheating, though, the other day. Yeah, but that— They couldn't get past the 50-yard line. Yeah, but then you win a game, but you lose your ticket to heaven. What's that saying? Cheaters, cheaters are no fun. Cheaters, cheaters hurt someone. Or is that secret secrets? Yeah, I I think that's, I don't know. I I, I forgot all of those after third grade. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know that one. So is it incorrect to say that it's only cheating if you get caught? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, yes. Wrong. Because cheating is really in your intent. Hmm. And their intent was to gain an, a hand, an upper hand, in an illicit manner. Are you saying we shouldn't use technology to further our careers? Well, we sure haven't used any technology to further our careers. They're cheating. If you're cheating, you shouldn't further your career by cheating. 
Hmm. Right? You've heard of Governor Blagovich? Is that his name? Je- Governor really? of Illinois. That- Blagovich? It's close to that. It's like Something. Blagojevich. Blagojevich. Or- yeah. Yeah. He cheated, got caught. He's in jail. Like what or gra- at least like, served jail time. Like what grandma said on her deathbed, cheaters oh. never prosper. Is that what grandma said? Yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not advocating cheating here. I'm just saying, is it all within the... The only thing the Boston Red Sox did wrong is they used technology to, you know, cheat. Why didn't they just... You well, can do this. You I know, can why steal signs. Why didn't they just steal the signs and then write a little note and hand it to a little runner boy huh. who, like, like, was the paper boy right. with, like, a little, you know, little knee pants. Right. And a newsie. A newsie. And then have the newsie boy <laughs> run it down to the locker room. I think it's hmm. that would have been legit. Maybe it's more real time through texting rather than yeah. having some kid that may get lost halfway yeah, but through. Then a... you got pegged for cheating. Now yeah. next time, get a little newsy. All right. There's a million of a them. pigeon. Could a pigeon? Would a pigeon be a problem? How could you stop them from singing and dancing long enough to get the message across? That's the problem with newsies. They get sidetracked. That's they true. think they can sing. That's why you would do the pigeon because nobody would notice a pigeon landing on like one of the. <laughs> manager's shoulders yeah you see the little note tied to his. on the on the tv broadcast that's the fourth time that pigeons flew into the dugout wow, <laughs> he's this is like, crazy he's pulling a little scroll off of his leg <laughs> reading it. don't you remember the time when randy johnson hit a bird yeah. mid-flight yeah he was trying to send that bird a message totally that was probably them cheating back in the old days just a puff by of the way let this be a lesson to all you other birds and that's just technology I mean, back then, pigeon transportation and communication via pigeon, it was just advanced technology. Hmm. And we won wars with that. (sighs) Good times. Good times. See? Again, the information you don't get on any other station. We like to go deep, folks. We like to go really deep. Today, we dissected cheating in major league sports. With the answer, pigeons. Homing pigeons. (laughs) That's a great, that's a great answer. Up next, folks, we're taking on cash. Is it, uh, is it falling out of fashion? Is it no longer in vogue to pay with cash? Are you just an, like an old timer if you're actually still carrying a wallet full of cash? We'll get into it. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Virtual money, credit cards, and debit cards have made cash almost useless today. Uh, once you could cash, you know, get cash, you could buy anything you wanted, right? That was it. All you needed was the cash. You could make a purchase. But apps like Venmo and PayPal make it so you can send friends money at the press of a button. Some airlines will not even accept cash to buy things on planes anymore. So here's the question. Is cash still king? And here to speak with us today is uh, Bashkar Chakravorty. Uh, Bhaskar Chakravorty. He's a professor of business at Tufts University and wrote a wonderful article on the subject, Cash is Falling Out of Fashion, Will It Disappear Forever?, that you can find in theconversation.com. Dr. Chakravorty, thank you so much for your time and being with us today. Thank you for having me, Matt. What an interesting discussion of cash is no longer uh, what it used to be. Where do you see um, where do you see cash going? What's happening? Why is it not as appealing anymore as a as a as a form of currency or a form of, or method of payment? Well, I 
think uh, you know, cash is following the uh, the the natural trail of uh, any product that is uh, basically a piece of information that can be translated, uh, trans, you know, uh, transported to us uh, on, uh, uh, on 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 bits and bytes as as a bit and byte. So, uh, you know, it's like movies and 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 images and a photograph. Uh, or, or even books uh, that are basically pieces of information. Cash is a piece of information which says, I owe you $10, so here are my $10. So if I can just convert that into a bit and uh, send that to you over the Internet, we are done. And uh, that is essentially the way in which a lot of transactions are going. And a natural question is, you know, why hasn't cash completely disappeared? Just like uh, you know, DVDs or you know, uh, DVD rental stores. It is so. Wh- why is that? Do you think? I mean, and, and is this only a phenomenon we see in the United States? Are other countries more uh, you know more attached to their cash than we are? And how do we fit into the global world? Yeah. So I think this is uh, uh, really the uh, uh, the interesting question in terms of how is cash different from other information products, and we. Uh, you know, have a long history uh, with cash, and uh, you know, generally people have an emotional connection with cash. And uh, so, depending on uh, who you are, how old you are, and uh, you know where you live, uh, you know, we tend to look at cash either as a complete inconvenience or as a source of security. And uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the United States, we aren't, you know, we aren't completely rid of cash. There are uh, other countries that are far more advanced in uh, sort of uh, trans, uh, uh, getting, uh, getting rid of cash and using digital payments. You know, for countries such as uh, Sweden or France or Switzerland, uh, they use uh, about half as much cash as we do. Hmm. And in the United States, about you know, 13% of our GDP is still uh, cash-based. That's, that's pretty amazing. So, um, I mean, it's, it seems like, uh, uh, like you were saying, there's an emotional connection to it. There's also a convenience factor that seems to be going on. Um, and in the end, too, I guess um, certain countries, like you're talking about, uh, I think it was Singapore and France and Sweden, if if all of a sudden we got to, and is this even possible, to get to a completely 100% cash-free you know, exchange, or does that eventually disadvantage certain populations? Are there certain groups of people that no matter what we do, we will still always need cash or want cash? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, this is where uh, we have to also reflect on uh, how uh, penetrated the so-called digital economy is, in you know, at least in the United States. And not everybody has, uh, you know, complete access to uh, uh, to um, both, uh, you know, smartphones and uh, access to the Internet. And uh, the many parts of the country where, uh, you know, people uh, don't have access to high-speed Internet and, uh, and mobile connections are, uh, are you know, or, or smartphone penetration isn't, isn't as good. So people who, uh, you know, do not necessarily have access to uh, uh, technology uh, would be disadvantaged if... Uh, you know, stores uh, and restaurants uh, did not uh, did not accept cash. Uh, also, there are uh, there are folks who would rather not have uh, their payment activity uh, being recorded and uh, and then potentially 
uh, monitored uh, either by the government or by other agencies. And every time you make a digital payment, there is a record going somewhere. And uh, most of us don't quite understand where that record is. And we are also increasingly worried about the vulnerability of the digital system. And uh, could somebody break into, uh, you know, my uh, smartphone or my, uh, my or my, you know, uh, uh, my uh, account uh, somewhere and, uh, you know, take uh, whatever stores of cash I have digitally, you know, and take it away. Are are companies like Venmo and PayPal? Are they under the same? Uh, rules that maybe a banking organization is to report um, those transactions to the government. Well, they're not. Uh, they're not obligated to report uh, transactions to the government. I mean, that would be uh, that would be illegal. Uh, the concern uh, that most people have is that there is a record, uh, and uh, we don't fully understand who has access to that record and if that access uh, might change. Uh, someday, yeah, because the, the the laws governing this uh, are, are still a little bit, uh, you know, in the gray area. Hmm. It really is a. It's. I mean, I guess too. There's examples in India where they they actually uh, altered the the cash. They tried to exchange out certain bills for other bills, just in an effort to to slow some illegal activity. Um, is that? I guess that that's one of the benefits of government, um, I guess, being in charge of cash and the cash flow and currency is they can they, – I guess they can track certain um, illegal activities better? Well, in India, they, they, they took perhaps, uh, you know, probably the most drastic action anywhere. Uh, so in November last year, uh, they demonetized 86 percent of the currency. And essentially, these were the two largest denomination bills. And uh, – uh, and basically, they kind of said, well, you know, overnight, uh, these uh, these banknotes, uh, uh, the 500 rupee and the 1,000 rupee banknotes are, uh, you know, are not uh, legal tender anymore. So if you have them in your possession, bring them uh, into a bank and we'll exchange them for new currency. And that essentially sort of threw the entire country into chaos. And the idea was that if, if you were hoarding uh, cash because you didn't want the government to track uh, your uh, your activity, uh, this would be a way to, uh, you know, either uh, leave you stranded, or if you came to a bank to exchange your currency, you know, people would ask you where you got that money from. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, uh, what happened was 99% of all the, uh, the demonetized currency in India was returned, and uh, somehow people found a way to deposit them in, in the bank accounts and get the, the new currency. So the entire exercise uh, was. Uh, you know, essentially an ex- exercise in futility. It didn't, uh, it didn't uh, yeah. uh, leave anybody out in the court. And it sounds like it impacted businesses, and it may have uh, turned a, a lot of uh, citizens off because it seems like more of them turned to the apps to to transact business instead of using cash. Yeah, in the short term, people turned to apps, and then, you know, once uh, currency came back into circulation, essentially everybody's gone back to using cash. In India... Uh, is ninety percent, ninety percent plus dependent on cash in terms of its day-to-day transactions. So this is a heavily cash, cash-loving country. We're speaking with Dr. Bhaskar Chakravorty, um, who is a professor of business at Tush University, and he's walking us through uh, some insights into the really the the power of cash and its maybe its diminishing. Um, state of uh, in being in vogue or in fashion. Um, Bhaskar, when you think about it, I mean, what's the downside? Are there economic downsides if countries 
move away from cash or um, or actually use cash more? Is there an advantage to cash? Well, based on some studies that we have done across uh, a, a number of countries, what we have found is that there is net-net a, a cost of using cash. Uh, so if we do move away from cash, uh, you end up creating value. And uh, uh, we've done a study in the U.S. a few years back where uh, the cost of using cash in the U.S. Uh, adds up to uh, upwards of $200 billion. That's billion with a B. So if we could get the entire U.S. economy to move away from cash to digital payments, uh, we could save at least $200 billion, if not more. Is that just in printing and processing cash? No, that's just a small part of it. So uh, the, 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 the different uh, costs are uh, costs to consumers. Uh, you know, consumers uh, have to take time out of work or whatever else they're doing to go to an ATM and take out cash. Uh, they have to pay fees at the ATM, and depending on, uh, you know, what the size of their bank accounts are, those fees could be very large. Uh, they may have to cash, uh, you know, checks uh, for which they have to pay fees. Uh, then there are businesses that have to store cash, uh, that cash could get stolen. Uh, then they have to transport cash from their cash registers to their bank accounts, in which case they need to pay, uh, you know, uh, the armored truck uh, for it, and that yeah. entails costs. And then from the government standpoint, the fact that there is a cash economy uh, that doesn't get tracked by the government means lost taxes. So about $100 billion worth of taxes uh, escape uh, the revenue service, and that is a loss to uh, to the public. Interesting, yeah, because I mean, many business people are would love to just be cash only, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, use the cash uh, in an unreported way, I guess. Is it um, so? Boy, it's it's interesting. So there there is kind of a strong economic, I guess, benefit to um, to moving to a non cash. Basis, but then one of the points you brought up in your article that, to, to me, I had never thought about, but you, you've kind of alluded to it throughout the interview, is the privacy of it. Cash enables a level of privacy um, and, I guess, security that uh, that that's, it would be hard to replicate. Yeah, absolutely, and this is one of the biggest concerns that people have, which is uh, you know the concern about privacy. It's also anonymity, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, if I give you $10, you know, no one knows that I have given it to you. On the other hand, if I put it uh, in the form of a digital payment, there's a record that it's me who has given money to Matt. And, and you know, people are worried about you who might have access to that information. And the other, uh, the other concern that uh, people should have is that if I have a, a, a digital payment app on my phone and I walk into a store, and if that store is not ready to accept it, because, you know, uh, if I have $10... We know it's acceptable. Yeah. Everywhere. Whereas apps, you know, you need two sides to a transaction. That's so true. And it's, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's the systems are already set up and everything is, and you, you know your money is good. It's interesting, though, too, that some companies and organizations are actually, I guess, not facilitating cash transactions. I mean, I've heard like on airplanes, you got to, you know, you got to pay with a card or certain times you just have to use a card is... Um, I mean, I guess, is is that legal to not accept cash? Is that just up to the vendor? Uh, I don't know the legality uh, aspect of it. And airlines, uh, you know, basically, for them, it's a matter of convenience. Yeah. And uh, they generally expect that anybody who gets on a plane uh, will have a credit card in their pocket. So, uh, and it's generally convenient even for the passengers uh, to pay by card. 
but I don't know if there's somebody could actually sue the airlines for not accepting cash. Hmm. And it, I mean, I guess too the we hear so many stories about hacking, and I could, I mean. I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of damage that could be done with somebody getting into your Venmo account or something like that. Sure, absolutely. And all these uh, payment apps, they are beefing up their security and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the cyber protocols. But, uh, you know, the hackers uh, are, uh, are always kind of uh, just a half a step ahead of uh, people who are trying to set up these security barriers. Do you, um, uh, when you think of it kind of as on the academic side of it, does this seem like something realistically that we are going to move into? And is this, is this something that a government should push? Is that what's happening in Singapore and in Sweden? Is it just that the government's so behind it that they facilitate it to make sure the conditions are, are ripe? Or is this just totally being driven by the market? Well, it's a combination of government and market, but definitely a huge role uh, on the part of governments uh, to uh, to encourage digital payments. And uh, the reason for that is pretty straightforward. I mean, one is the government uh, would like to uh, make sure that uh, there isn't an underground economy being facilitated by cash. And uh, and you know the the argument that I made about the cost of cash. I mean, that is that is a, that is a really a real issue. I think for the United States is a bit of a different, uh, a different challenge, uh, which is, you know, United States is very different from Singapore, uh, which uh, happens to have uh, a government that plays uh, uh, in the economy with a very heavy hand, uh, whereas in the U.S. we have a somewhat different system. So the transition from cash to digital in the U.S. is going to take much, much longer. And talk about the countries that are least, that are still using cash the most. What countries are still mostly reliant on cash? Well, you know, generally, uh, uh, less developed countries are heavily reliant on cash, and upwards of 90% uh, countries like uh, Egypt or India, uh, you know, very, very cash-dependent. Surprisingly, a country like Japan is also extremely cash-dependent, and a lot of that has to do with this, just Japanese culture. It, it, why? Just it's, uh, it's just how they transact. It's just they feel safer. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are many things about Japan, uh, the Japanese economy, Japanese society. It's almost like a, a, a Galapagos civilization. Uh, they have developed their own means of transacting, which is very different from the rest of the world. For instance, fax machines are still quite popular in Japan, and you probably haven't seen a fax machine no. most places in the United States. That's interesting. Talk about as we're as we're wrapping up uh, the interview. What would you? Where do you see this going in the future? Do you see? that America eventually goes or uh, the United States eventually goes completely cashless or will there always be a place for cash? No, I don't think uh, we're going to be completely cashless. I believe we will be less cash rather than cashless. Uh, however, the trends are in the direction of uh, using uh, cash less frequently. And the other transformation that is going to happen is uh, more and more people are going to get comfortable with the digital systems, uh, whether it's on a smartphone or other means of trans- transacting, uh, uh, you know, over, uh, over the Internet. And uh, uh, there's also a generational shift. So if you talk to a teenager, they're far more comfortable using an app than, you know, somebody who's in their 40s and 50s. So as the population, you know, turns over from the baby boomers to uh, the next generation, you know, this is a generation uh, that has uh, grown up uh, essentially using apps for everything. So for them, you know, using Venmo is, or whatever, the, the, the child of Venmo is uh, something that comes completely natural. 
naturally to them. And uh, a lot of kids these days, uh, and actually, I, you know, I'm not a kid, but you know, I don't carry any cash in my pocket. Yeah, me either. My wife won't let me for some reason, Bashkar. Um, yeah. It's kind of rude. The biggest, the biggest problem is, you know, you're trying to you're trying to park your car, and the parking meter takes only quarters. Mm-hmm. That's when you're running around trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this? Or uh, when you arrive in a foreign city and uh, you're checking into a hotel and you want to tip the you know person at the hotel and you know reach into your pocket, there's no cash. So you know we have lots of situations that uh, for you know where uh, we do regret not having cash in our pocket. And I guess I assume the market and the innovators will eventually be creating easy answers to those issues. Oh, absolutely. For instance, uh, in China, where uh, basically in urban China, uh, it's almost close to 100% cashless. Everything is done uh, digitally. And uh, if you want to tip somebody at, at a hotel, uh, the person will have a QR code, and you just scan the QR code on your phone, and there you go. You can pay them uh, uh, you know, uh, virtually. Wow. And yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much uh, the system that's going to, you know, migrate to other parts of the world. Well, it's innovation one way or another. We appreciate uh, your insight. Again, Dr. Bashkar Chakravorty, Dr. Bashkar Chakravorty, um, for your time, for being with us. Uh, Dr. Chakravorty is a business professor at Tufts University and the executive director of Fletcher's Institute for Business in, a, in the Global Context. Uh, we're honored to have him on the show and to learn about what uh, what a cashless world might look like. How powerful and uh, innovative is that? Can you imagine the day when you grandma gave you a dollar and you just hung on to that dollar and it meant you you know you had some actual tangible asset to transact? Um, and nowadays you just take your iPhone and wave it around, and the next thing you know, you've just bought lunch. There goes cash, folks. Uh, I'm telling you, that red moon, that orange moon I saw today may be telling us something. Interesting stuff. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show, giving you a leg up in life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we're talking, we just talked cash and uh, how cash may be on the way out. People just aren't using it like they used to. I mean, let alone coins. I mean, for heaven's sakes, where do you even use a coin anymore? I could, I, I, do pay phones even exist anymore? Can you still find a pay phone? Yes. Where? Very rare. I, I you see them every once in a while. Like my wife and I are walking. I can't remember where we were, but we stopped and looked at it. Like, wow, Dude, every, what is son, this? That's a payphone. And you can find, you can still find phone booths, but they're only good for traveling through time. Now you can't oh, use them yeah. as phones. Yeah, anymore. the time warp booth in New York. There were. I don't know if they've actually, uh, you know, got the program active or not. But they're working on changing all the payphones locations into Wi-Fi hotspots. Yeah. So you just have this whole network throughout the city because there's so many payphones, but no one uses them. How interesting. Yeah. You can use them now. as charging stations. That yeah. too. That's a great idea. Yeah. Just a big charging station. Um, well, back to cash. Do you remember uh, in April 2016, President Obama's Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew, said that the black abolitionist hero, uh, Harriet Tubman, would be on the new $20 bill? 
Hmm. But apparently um, the Trump, you know, the Trump administration, they're a little slower to to want to get into to formalizing that decision. Okay. So they're they're Steve Mnuchin, who's the Treasury Secretary, I believe. Mm-hmm. He now is saying they will be looking at the issue. It was supposed to begin, I think, production right away, right this this year, and now they're putting a little bit of a hold on it, and they they want to review it to see. I, I don't know if they're questioning Harriet Tubman or if they're questioning the redesign of the $20 bill. So it's been years since I've had a $20 bill. Could you refresh my memory as to who's on there? Or the president's love for Andrew Jackson. I thought it was Jackson. Yeah. But again, I, the, I don't, never have $20. Remember, the president has Andrew Jackson on his wall in his in his office visited his uh gravesite at one point since he's been elected so it, the idea now right. is why replace jackson with harriet tubman when you could just keep jackson i and i thought for sure you know maybe even put trump on the 20 well yeah maybe they're holding out to see if he'll accomplish something big enough that would warrant putting him on the 20 dollar bill well, uh, well did you see his electoral college win yeah, that you, should be enough. <laughs> did you not see his audience size at his inauguration? I mean, with how he those, talk, two, those two things combined. With how he talks about it, with how uh, – yeah. when he met with uh, leaders of Europe, that was in some of the talking points oh, that sure. they, uh, their handlers for all these presidents all over Europe were given – you need to talk about his electoral college victory, and then he'll be more. Right. You know, he'll he'll want to talk to you more and maybe negotiate with you better if you just yeah. mention this great victory of his. Oh, I think Alexander Hamilton is apparently on the ten dollar bill. Oh, is that right? Uh, after plans to boot Alexander off of the ten dollar bill sparked backlash, Treasury came up with a plan to eventually redesign three different notes in order to incorporate women. The $10 bill would keep Hamilton on the front and mm, on the back right. would have the montage of women involved in the American suffrage movement. Lucretia Mott, Sojourner Truth, and Susan B. Anthony. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Alice Paul, I guess that's five women. Hmm. The $20 bill would replace Andrew Jackson. I guess Andrew's on the 10 and the 20 Anyway, the, the $20 bill would Again, replace Andrew Jackson with Tubman. Whoa, he's probably rolling around in his grave right now. I doubt it. Really? He's probably resting. Hmm. Yeah. There's nothing worse than that, though. $5 bill will keep Abraham Lincoln on it. So, I mean, all of this talk of cash, but in reality, do we do we even need cash if it's on the way out? I mean, now all of this. But, I mean, I, I think we should support, you know, highlighting these great leaders, the females, as well as, by the way, apparently on the $20 bill, they wanted to uh, maybe put uh, Native Americans on it as well. You know, there was in a movie, Eddie Murphy plays this astronaut or something in this futuristic movie called The Adventures of Pluto Nash. And he goes to hand somebody some currency and he's like, here, take a few Hillary's. And it's bills with Hillary Clinton on them. (laughs) Well, apparently they misread the future. And this was like back in early 2000, early, yeah, like 2000, 2001. (laughs) Hillary's. Her book's coming out, though. Yes. Apparently, it's a tell-all. It's a tell-all about why she lost. Don't we know? She didn't go to Wisconsin and Michigan? Well, I think it was – nobody knew that there was this juggernaut Don, Donald Trump that was going to move the electorate in such a way. Including Donald Trump. Yeah. Great stuff. 
We uh, will continue this journey, folks, in just a few minutes, uh, wrapping it up with a little empty news for you. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. You're a millennial. Yes, it's our millennial anthem. And as we've talked about the fact that cash may be going out because people love their cell phones so much, maybe Mm. it's time to figure out – uh, are, do, are we using the phones too much? According to some latest research, apparently millennials, they may be in trouble. They're a little attached to their yeah. devices. At what point will we not be able to just blame millennials for things? Well, as soon as the next generation Gets a name? appears, has a name, and then we can make fun of them for a few, you know, maybe a decade. By the way, I think you are a millennial at heart, Oh, Matt. for sure. Because yeah. you're always playing with your phone. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, you I played fidget. with your fidget spinner all throughout the show. I'm, I'm a member of the fidgetal age. That's what we, I learned yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Wow. Thanks, Please. folks. I'm here all day. I've tested well with the audience, apparently. Yeah. So according to this uh, study, 69% of millennials feel anxious when they're without their phones. Uh, this poll was conducted between June and August with a sample size of 7,000 millennials. Wow. So 7,000 millennials, 69% of them feel very anxious when their phone is not within reach. 31% reported not feeling stressed overall, and women respondents were more likely to feel anxious without their phones, 76% compared to 63% of men. Unbelievable. Sorry. So what do you think? Is that is that? You want me to lay that down no, no, with no, some no. music? No, no, that okay. I just like to do acapella. That um, that's a that's I believe the stat. Don't you think? I mean, they're they're ner- they're nervous. They're they're addicted. From the number of people I see trying to walk and look at their phones, which is a majority of people oh, yeah. in most port. Every most time I go on my I go. walk, I l- everyone thinks I'm texting. Right. I'm taking notes on what I'm listening to. Hmm. Right, mm. right. But you're... I'm still about to die. And I, yeah. every time I come to a corner, I my fight or flight in my brain says, hey, dude, you don't want to die on this corner. Let's wait till the next corner. So or, then I look up. Or how many times I'm trying to talk with our producers of the show yeah. and explain to them what we expect of them. And they just like sneak. They feel yeah. like they're sneaking a look at their phone, but it's like they're right in front of me and they're like just like. Reading and texting. Must and look at trying phone. to talk to me and both, and so I just start saying things that are. You know, that's. Let me tell you what I do. It's to, a really HR doesn't love it, but you just slap them oh, right in the wow. face right then. Physical contact, and then they drop their phone, and then you're like. Psychologist Larry Rosen told 60 Minutes in June that when people are away from their phones, their brains can send a flight or a fight or flight signal. Yeah, as if responding to danger. This resilience on cell phones has grown partially. Because apps are designed to make users want to check them more often, as a Google product manager says. The uh, the poll is just one more indicator that psychological impacts of mobile devices can have on people have yet to be fully understood. We're just getting into it. 69% of millennials feel anxious without their phones. Oh, yeah. You just see him there in the corner just shaking Twitching. in the fetal position. Mm-hmm. Though I kind of freak out, too. It's like, where's my phone? Where'd no. it go? Even it, though I'm not holding it, I yeah. just I want to have it near me. It's a, well, and I walked in on comfort. you that one time when you were mm. talking to it. I was talking to my phone? Yeah. Speaker? Precious. I was, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just cleaning it. Well, it gets dirty. There's You're so finger, dirty, dirty little phone. <laughs> little fingerprints. It's annoying. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Those are good days. Good days, folks. See? 
helping you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives, and hopefully give up your phone once in a while. That's the goal of the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, we continue the journey. Next hour, we'll be talking about how practicing may actually help your brain focus more. You won't want to miss that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Up and at them, folks. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Terry South wow. and Jeffrey Liam Simpson on the harmonica. Do we need to play like, is it Reveille? Is that what it is? We yeah, we should play that to start the show. We should play Reveille. All right. Get everyone at attention. I always hated that. You go to like scout camp and some yeah, some guys over there with his, bull, with his horn. Like, what are you doing? Just let everyone get up with the sun. But and because they only play their bugle every summer. Oh yeah. So yeah. they're not very good at no. it. No. Get up with the sun. Forget that. Get up at noon. It sounds like a wounded animal over there, and he's on. <laughs> Somebody put that thing out of its misery. We have got a great program. Of uh, of course. I mean, when have we not? Right? I mean, except for those that won. Yeah, except for the ones that... We don't remember those, and I deleted the podcast, so we're fine. So they can't even prove they existed. No evidence. Today we're going to be talking about how to pay... How by paying attention, you can actually get your brain to practice focusing more. And so your focus and attention can go up. Huh? Exactly. And the perfect example we're going to be testing on Jeff today, his Mm. ability to focus... Um, with this research of um, – it's really pretty strong academic research and it's it may be creating some answers for some big problems in the world. ADHD yeah. – Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. We're just doing a show here. OK. Sorry. He, uh, he needs to practice. Yeah. It's all right. Work in progress. Whether you have ADHD, maybe other focus issues, uh, maybe the way to do it is practice. Get rid of your spinner. Put your Put your fidget spinner down. I Jeff reminded me last hour that I didn't have my fidget spinner. He actually just mentioned my fidget spinner, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. I got to go get it. So during the break, I got it, and now I don't know what it is. I feel a lot calmer, yeah. more relaxed. Mm. Well, as you know, if you don't have your fidget spinner, we have a uh, sponsor that has a book with a bunch of other ideas for things that you can do to fidget. Really? Mm-hmm. There's other things you can do other than fidget spinning. Yes. Well, let's – at the end of this hour, should okay. we get to it? Let's sure. talk. Let's I, – I, anything I can do to promote our sponsors. What was the yeah. name of the book? Fidget Fads. Fidget Fads. Because hmm. you can spin anything. I don't know if you know this, Terry. You can spin anything. True. I mean uh, the White House spinning left and right. Constantly, yes. Uh, but you can spin knives, forks, spoons. I can spin a pen on my, fing- on my hand. Hmm. If you're Linda Blair, you can spin your head. Yeah. Certain movies, yes. Uh-huh, right. Now, I don't recommend the head spinning thing. No, that's probably not. It's a total party ender. Yeah. Like, okay, time to go home, everybody. <laughs> Did you see our host's head spin all the way around? Yeah. So uh, we will. We will uh, have a little message from one of our sponsors up in a few minutes as well. Also, of course, empty news on the show. We uh, MT, not not 
like it's, it's devoid of anything. It's MT, like Matt Townsend News. Mm. Just the headlines you didn't know you needed to know. We'll be getting to those as well. But first, let's get to the, the very real headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world and country we should be paying attention to? President Donald Trump said Tuesday night that if Congress cannot pass a legislative fix for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA, that his administration scrapped, he will revisit it. Not sure what that means. Congress now has six months to legalize uh, DACA or something like it. The Obama administration was not able to make it a law, which made it so easy to overturn, which is kind of their fault. They should have worked harder to, if it was that important, make it Well, but the problem was is you also have Congress at odds with each other. So passing anything is now. Today is a day when if the Republicans wanted it, it seems like you could get it passed. Which is, I guess, why President Trump's deferring it back to Congress. But it seems like Trump should give his opinion. Like, I deeply believe in DACA and we should keep it. Make it happen, Congress. But I don't think he's said that. He's like, I'm not not that forceful. I'm not not going to reinstate it. You guys need to make it legit. He said if, if they or Congress can't make this a law he goes i will revisit the issue but that doesn't mean what does that mean like i will eventually tell you what my opinion is on it he declined to offer specifics on what revisiting would entail congressional republicans have yet to pave out a path forward on a legislative fix and lawmakers remain divided on the issue trump's frequently makes promises he doesn't keep and earlier tuesday his administration announced that daca would be phased out over the next six months to buy congress time the new york times report that Reports that Trump asked his staff if there was a way out of deciding on DACA before oh. he decided on it. Hold on. Hold on. So it, it seems like what we need is a leader on the issue, but he's trying to find a way out of having to decide on it or give the, his opinion about it. The New York it. Times yesterday also quoted some staff members who weren't quite sure if the president knew what that all entailed when it came to DACA. If he knew what the program was. Who yeah. was he affecting? All the details. It was just kind of like uh, somebody on, I read on Twitter. Somebody said they should ask the president if he could tell you what DACA stands for. DACA. It's an abbreviation. Oh, oh. Does he know it's the the Deferred Action for Childhood Child. Arrivals? Could yeah. he say that? And I don't know if that's that's not usually the uh, level of detail he goes to. He just kind of gets the the no. broad overstrokes yeah. and then goes ahead and yeah. makes believe, a decision. But, but believe me. Yeah. He'll revisit it. He'll revisit it. We'll see what happens. Believe me. As Hurricane Irma continues to move uh, towards Florida with catastrophic force, it's first paved a path over small Caribbean islands of St. Martin, Antigua, and St. Bart's after making landfall on Barbuda around 2 a.m. I looked up Barbuda. Barbuda. thought maybe that was some sort of typo. Yeah, yeah. There's an island. It's called Barbuda. They haven't been able to talk to it. Uh, The BBC just reported that they haven't had any communications for almost 24 hours. It seems like the illegitimate child of Barbados and Bermuda. Right, but Mm -hmm. Barbuda. A Category 5 storm, Irma's clocking winds of 185 miles per hour, wrecking havoc on the island communities. Early footage mostly taken during the hurricane's eye, so the calm part. So they they kicked the first part of it, then it's calm, and then the back end comes through it's devastation. They, Everything's they, flat. I just watched a video of them flying the plane into the hurricane's eye, which is how would you like to do that job? Yeah. What are you doing today, honey? I'm just going to fly into Irma's eye. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. And then calm. Right. And then- Similar to if you watch uh, Kong Island, a bunch of helicopters fly through the storm that encircles Kong Island as they approach to okay, try so to find what? I'm talking about that movie was kind of entertaining yeah I liked I'm it I'm talking about a real hurricane <laughs> well, this, with a hurricane yeah. level 5 yeah Irma mm-hmm. is her name by the way ruining a good name right 
And you're talking about Kong Island. Well, this yes. was a real movie. Well, it's Skull Island. The movie is very yeah. real. But it's King Kong, yeah. Yeah. You but, I mean, just uh, the the theatrical depiction of flying through a fierce storm well, is no, shown. You can, you can actually, if you want, you can go to CNN. Yeah. And you can actually watch flying into a Hurricane Five's <sighs> eye. That's too real. But, by the way, and there will not be a large gorilla in the in that video. And, again, less cool. Yeah. You just kind of get into the eye. No, like, I get That's it. great. I get it. The I other way, it. you're fighting a gorilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on. Uh, the storm is expected across Puerto Rico Wednesday, edge past Haiti and the Dominican Republic and Cuba before making landfall <laughs> in Florida. So just going to Haiti those can't handle Haiti no. doesn't need another mm-hmm. problem. Well, they need to move. They need to take <laughs> the entire island and move it somewhere else. Oh. It seems to be a target. Poor And Puerto Rico? I mean, this is going to devastate. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be bad. According to a new study, plastic fibers are contaminating tap water around the world. The study found that 83% of tap water samples from more than a dozen countries were contaminated. The United States contamination rate was even higher at 94%. Plastic fibers were found in water coming from congressional buildings, the Environmental Protection Agency headquarters, and Trump Tower, among other places. We have... <laughs> What's wrong, Larry? I got plastic in my water. We have enough data from looking at wildlife and the impacts that it's having on wildlife to be concerned, said Dr. Sherry Mason, who spearheaded the study. If it's impacting wildlife, then how do we think it's not going to impact us? So this is just, this is plastic bags, all these other things get into our water system. They break down. They break down, get chopped up. Little fibers. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're drinking it. Yeah, which is not good. You've got that. It sounds like a little Metamucil mix. Mm. It's not the good kind of fiber. Yeah. It's the plastic fiber. It's not going to help you. And finally, uh, this is bad. What? This may be bad for Star Wars fans. Oh, no. This this is good. What? What? Col- Colin, Colin Trevorrow is no longer directing the next chapter of the Skywalker saga, Star Wars Episode Nine. Oh. I, I never heard of him. The official line from Lucasfilm, Colin has been a wonderful collaborator throughout the developmental process, but we have all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ. The Hollywood Reporter hears that script issues were at the core of the parting. Who will get the job now? The news about the 2019 film was the latest behind-the-scenes shakeup in the Star Wars galaxy. You recall that director Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were replaced in June by Ron Howard on next year's Han Solo film. Let me just translate that statement from Disney. Yeah, please. Following the abysmal box office of Colin Trevorrow's latest film, The Book of Henry, we've decided to hire a new director. Wow. That didn't even sound anything like. They've got good PR. But it's implied. Yes, definitely. So his last movie, which wasn't a Star Wars movie, didn't cut it. No, it was a total bomb. And so they're like, we can't risk... But the concern is usually that during the process of development, you mm-hmm. start replacing directors, and it shows that there is there's problems. And then when you want the movie to be good, it tends to lead to negative thoughts from fans, and then the movie doesn't go well, and it's all links back to these changes where you can't get a singular focus on what you're doing, and there's oh, conflict. Oh, boy. And, yeah. Well, how's he ever going to get another job? He will. People also know that Disney slash Star Wars slash Marvel, they're kind of finicky. He'll still be a producer on the (laughs) Jurassic World films. But the reason I think this is true, what I said anyway, is Josh Trank was supposed to direct another Star Wars film. Yeah. 
he had a huge turkey of a film with Fantastic Four. Yeah, that was bad. So following yeah. that, he tranked it. they axed him too. Yeah. So they, they axed him what? They axed him too. Also. They, not into. They fired him. Oh, I thought you said they axed him. They, like they, or they axed him a question. No. No. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not following all of this. What? The, the, so right all now. All of this Hollywood news. I thought this would be done like on our last hour of our, on our Friday show. No, Jeff's just saying. Show, the Han Solo movie is Ron Howard. They had to replace that director, right? Then you have uh, The Last Jedi, which comes out in December. Yeah. Apparently that one's safe because they're, they're editing that, yeah. getting that together. And then the next, then they're, then uh, in 2019, you have the third of the next set of trilogy. You know, they, yeah. the next three movies. The third movie's coming out, and that one's seeing some structural issues when the director just gets fired. Why, why, don't, why don't they just keep the same director? For all the movies? Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't do that. I mean, because that same director could just build t- two times the teams, but it's the same creative sure. genius behind it. And if it's Ron Howard, you know that guy knows Star Wars because he was on Happy Days. Okay. Wow. Well, do you ever find yourself doing something as a parent that when you think about it, you realize, oh, maybe I'm just doing this because that's what was done before me? No. I think that's the real uh, reason that's for it. this. They're just on They don't really know, yeah. but that's what was done in the original trilogy, so let's just have somebody new for every film. Yeah. I think I think you want continuity. The other thing is it's hard to have power over someone who uh, is the director of three movies in a row that make a billion dollars because they start getting kind of full of themselves. Like, look, yeah. my movies are awesome when yeah, it's really it's probably Ron just Howard. the product. I mean, Ron Howard was that's... on... He, went, he lived in Mayberry. Yeah. Hmm. Right? So... Who else do you want to do Disney than the guy that grew up in Mayberry? Well, this isn't Disney, though. Who, who else do you want to do Star, Star Wars, Wars than the guy that grew up in Mayberry and went to Jefferson High on Happy Days? Hmm. Hmm. I'm just saying. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I'm glad I added my little part to that. I think, <laughs> I think it helped a lot. I noticed it shut you guys up. Anyway, let's get to some empty news. Great right. job. Uh, great insight, Terry. Are you, are you ready for a little game? <laughs> yeah, I love games. Okay. So let me read you the story first. Okay. This is a news story, an actual news story. Yes. And we're turning it into a game. There's a man who uh, was in court, okay. screamed at a judge, who are you to tell me what to do? Oh. The judge jailed him. Yeah, okay. don't say that. So Jordan Wills will spend two weeks behind bars after Judge Simon James refused to accept his apology for the angry tirade in court. The 22-year-old called the judge an obscene name, which you can't do, ah, when he appeared in court 30. for an unrelated matter before starting a tussle with security. Oh, when boy. Judge James asked the defendant not to use obscene language, Wills replied, who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> Wills has now been jailed for two weeks for contempt of court after the outburst. He was removed from the court, but tried to burst back into the room to shout, I love you, to his girlfriend. Because she's going to find that very impressive. Does, I don't think James actually recognizes where he is. He's, he doesn't right. know he's in a court. Okay, okay so we're going to play Yeah, Who Are You to Tell Me What to Do? Okay. okay. This will be fun. So I'm going to give you a phrase, and you tell me who's saying it. Could be a... Uh, an employee of some kind. Okay. It could be somebody that you know. Okay. 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 I mean, I, by the way, I'm not, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know a lot of. Okay. Singers, we'll start off but... with an easy one. Yeah. 
Please stop sleeping under your desk. Oh, that's that's Don Shaline, our boss, my boss. Very yeah, good. He very says good. that like twice a week. Okay. Sir, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Uh-huh. That, uh huh. That's 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 a funny one. That is. Um, can you say that again, sir? I'm, sir, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Yeah, that would be the referee at halftime during my son's basketball game. We'll allow that. I also would have accepted manager at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you've had enough. I think you've had enough. That is my wife on Thanksgiving. It is your wife. We also would have ex- uh, accepted speaking of your Netflix binging. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Now, You're this, doing really well. These are a lot easier than yeah. I thought. Okay. Be. Now, yeah. here's what, this is a little tougher. Uh, you need to wash that before you throw it away. Oh, huh. You need to wash that before you throw it away. Usually they say you need to wash that before you eat it. Not in this case. Uh, You need to wash that before you throw it away. That would be uh, when you... uh, Time's up. What? Any citizen of Portland or Seattle getting on your case about (laughs) washing your trash before you throw it away. That's so true. Okay, there are a couple left here. You need to get off your lazy bum and get a job. Oh, that, oh boy, it's bringing me to tears, but that's mom. Mom said that. Oh. It's actually your kid. (laughs) Really? Yeah. My kid said you need to get off your lazy what? Bum and get a job. Wow. Yeah. Very. My kid said that. He's got to talk to him. (laughs) And lastly, Give me all your money. That's my wife. Actually, we'll accept that, but more likely it's your kids as well. Yeah, my kids know not to ask for money. Well, you did very well. What thank was my you, score? Thank you for playing. Who are you to tell me what to do? And that's that guy, Jordy, should learn that you don't tell you don't ask a judge that. Right. Exactly. We'll be playing the game regularly. Who are you to tell me what to do? Fun stuff, folks. Straight ahead, we're going to talk about how practice, a little practice, can make your brain better at focusing. Some innovative research. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, strengthen your brain and your attention span, right here on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Can't sit still for two seconds? Looking for an outlet for all your fidgeting and are already tired of your fidget spinner? Well, then you've got to lay your fidgety hands on Fidget Fads, the new book that's jam-packed with flavor of the month time-wasting activities. There's a Baby Susan, where you spin a baby on a lazy Susan. The Dignity, where you spin someone's toupee while it's on their head. The Digit Spinner, which is exactly what it sounds like. Ouch! There's even a chapter on how to spin a story by Kellyanne Conway. Alternative facts. Not only does this book contain thousands of fidget spinning activities to choose from, but it also sheds light on various clinical fidget addictions. Fidget spillers can't help spilling things. And you might want to watch out for fidget spitters. Fidget fads. There's absolutely no science that supports this malarkey. 
When we have to learn new tasks or skills, it can be a tough process, right? You know, over time, with practice the, uh, on the task or the skill, it may become more natural. And a new study shows that paying attention can improve performance on a new task and, and possibly change the way the brain processes information. Joining us today is the lead researcher on that study, Sirawaj Ithapurapat, and uh, he is a Ph.D. student in the Neurosciences Program at the University of California, San Diego, and he's going to help us understand how just simply paying attention to something can actually improve your brain's uh, focusing abilities. Uh, Sirawaj, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Good. Excellent. Good to have you on the show. So, so talk to us about uh, the study that you did, Sirawash. What, was, what, was, uh, what, what, what were you after, and, and why is it such a, kind of a, an important study for all of us when it comes to our own brains and our own ability to focus? So, well, I guess everyone, you know, wants to know how to improve yourself, you know, in terms of what you do in everyday life, right? And we know that um, from research study, we know that attention could help us um, improve in terms of um, our behavioral performance in general in the task. So we have this question whether focusing attention could enhance your ability to um, discriminating something in our visual world, right? And we found that um, given subject focus attention cue, so basically giving an arrow to a subject to a certain location can help them improve their performance. And with training, um, they can improve it much faster. So this is just all we have to do, you're seeing, and how it impacts the brain is if we can just focus our attention on something, like literally look at it, focus attention to it, or like you're saying, point an arrow to it, it does change how the brain lights up and pays it and, and actually responds to what we're focused on. Yes. And you have to know that, uh, I mean, in the environment, there would be many stimuli, right? One might be important and one is not. So if you know what is important and what is not, attention can filter out those information that is not important at all. But what we're finding is that um, the selection mechanism in terms of, you know, attending to um, targets in visual scenes changed throughout the training. So, so explain, so ex- study, yeah, explain how you did it. Yeah, so in this study, we basically bring subjects in, you know, we got about like 20, 20 subjects participated. Actually, then we ended up having 12 subjects that can actually um, complete the experiment because uh, we brought in this subject for about 10 to 15 days to um, practice on this computer task where we give them attention cue and they have to um, discriminate um, just, you know, the, they just have to respond to light, the change in light, either it's dim, uh, dimming or it's getting brighter, stuff like that, and they have to discriminate um, those changes. And what we did is that we giving them a cue to um, the target that they have to discriminate. And we found that if we give the cue, they perform much better. And when we look at the EEG response, so in these studies, like we also monitor their, their brain response using EEG, right? Yeah. So in that case, we can look at um, the response in the brain 
and how it changed with attention. And we can use modeling technique to um, kind of um, figure out what kind of neural mechanisms that's supporting uh, the link between changes in brain data and behavior data. So what we found is that early in training, um, attention enhanced or increased the neural signals that responded to the attended stimuli. Interesting stuff. However, yeah. Through, yeah, however what's surpri- what surprising is that afterwards, um, throughout training, the attention signal that we see in the brain disappear. Why subjects still have uh, improvement in the task by that attention cue. So it makes us um, curious what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So what we did is that we used this modeling technique based on signal detection theory, and we figured out that early on in training, um, attention used this active mechanism that increased the gain of the neuronal responses in the visual cortex, which is like a, um, the cortex that processes visual information. However, later on, um, attention helps improving behavior by um, decreasing the noise or increasing the uh, tuning selectivity of um, those neurons. Yeah. So let me get this straight. So, so when you would, so you you've actually learned then. Um, if you if you uh, can get the people to focus their attention on certain areas, they can actually tune out all of the other noise. And in tuning out all of the other noise, they um, they actually their attention um, improved their ability to get this job done. Yes, but early on, they in the brain there is this active gain or increase in neuronal response, right? You kind of actively tend to something, something like that. But let's imagine if you're driving into the new city or something like like that, right? Yeah. I mean, um, at the start, it would be very difficult to attend to stimulus important to you. Um, And the brain is actively paying attention, basically. So you will see that increase in gain activity um, in those neurons. Um, however, after um, some amount of training, you will feel at ease, right? In driving the car or like in looking at um, signs and stuff like that. So somehow those brain responses disappear. So the gain response that we found earlier in training just disappear as the function of training. And it's somewhat like, you know, the brain going to like an autopilot mode or something like that. Mm-hmm. But when they go into autopilot oh. mode, do are we uh, – it seems like once I finally get used to a city, I quit missing all of the other – I quit focusing as much. You quit focusing as much, but somehow the, your brain just gets used to attend, right? Yeah. You automatically – kind of like your brain automatically know what's important and what's not important. And you don't really have to use much energy to recruit like, you know um, – those neurons to fire more. They yeah. fire less, but you can still do the same job. So where do you think, where is this going into the future, Sirawash? How, how can we, how do you sense that we'll be able to use this, this research knowledge uh, to better our lives in the future? To better our lives, right? So actually right now I'm in Thailand. Uh, I'm a, a 
uh, research fellow um, at the Learning Institute in Thailand at King Mung University of Technology, um, Thonburi. So here, like we're focusing on how we uh, would develop education, something like that. So I actually, um, <clears throat> I actually um, have a eye tracking project that monitor people eye movements while they are looking at a video based. Um, learning actually, and from what we know, um, that attention enhanced, you know, visual processing and stuff like that. We try to incorporate like social cue or something like that. Give, let's say, like giving animation that um, can um, face to different material on the screen, and then we looking at the eye movements, you know, that's directed by the attention cue basically, hmm. and we hoping to see. Um, people have increased in memory based on those social cues. So this is somewhat direction that I'm taking right now. Um, but, but with learning, we still have to do more research on that. Yeah. I think. But how powerful this idea that eventually we can um, – boy, uh, the, yeah, that eventually you can – Focus people's attention, getting them to actually focus on the one or two things that they need to focus on, and by doing so, you're going to actually uh, enable them to 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 pick up you know more learning, more insight, more understanding. It's really amazing what's happening in our tech world because when you think about just the the, the little research that's now being done, one study like Sirawaja's. Uh, that's uh, making a difference in, in helping us at least recognize that aiding people in their ability to focus on the most essential part of a game or the most essential part of maybe a, a learning or a lesson and then actually noticing if they're paying the attention. How powerful could that be in redirecting our own learning to make sure that it's sinking in, that we're actually impacting our lives at such a deeper level. Sirawaj Ithapirapat, thank you so much for your great work there uh, from the University of California, San Diego. Now he's in Thailand doing further research, you know, doing what we can on the show to help you uh, get a leg up in life, really to live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. You know, on the show, we always have researchers like Sirawaj and um, that we had in the last segment. Uh, but the funny thing is, sometimes you wonder why they're researching what they research. But Terry, uh, in his quest for radio excellence, has tracked down always um, some research on why 12 reasons why we haven't identified alien life forms yet, right? Or we haven't found we them We haven't yet. found them yet. Yeah. I mean, there's – you would think if they existed – if there were people from other planets, we would have found them by now. I mean, now. in the movies, they find them all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all you got to do is be in the movies or, like, True. fly on the USS Enterprise. Now, it hmm. says, in the 1950s, a learned lunchtime conversation set the stage for decades of astronomical exploration. From the 50s. Physicist okay. Enrico Fermini submitted to his colleagues around the table a couple of contentions summarized as one— 
The galaxy is very old, very large, with hundreds of billions of stars and likely even more habitable planets. Yeah. Which we're kind of finding yeah, we're some finding evidence that out of now. possibility so of that it's being, being true. proven true. Two, that means there should be more than enough time for advanced civilizations to develop and flourish across the galaxy. Right. Right. Well, it's been six. It's been what sixty something years since he said that. Right. So there should be plenty of time. So then it says, "Where the heck are they?" Yeah. It says this is this simple yet. I don't power- appreciate that language. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Pretty aggressive. <laughs> Got all locker roomy on us. This simple yet powerful argument became known as the Fermi, Fermi paradox, and it still boggles many sage minds today. Aliens mm. should be common, yet there are no convincing evidence that they exist. Right. So, so there's got to be. Some other assumptions. And then it says this. Here is 12 possible reasons. Okay, good. One, yeah. there aren't any aliens to find. Uh, duh. Duh. Like, they're not there. Wrong. So as unlikely as it seems in a galaxy with hundreds of billions of stars and as many as 40 billion Earth-sized planets and habitable zones, we could be all alone. Yeah. We're the only ones that broke through that barrier from water to land. That's so right. pompous of us. It kind of feels that way. It does. Uh, two, there is no intelligent life besides us. Duh. Wrong. Duh. This assumes, of course, that humans count as intelligence. Mm. Uh, life may exist, but it could simply take the form of minuscule microbes or right. other cosmically right. quiet algae. animals. Just yeah. a bunch of algae right. that Which never is, could walk out of the water. When we find life, when a science scientist actually discovers and confirms mm-hmm. life, it will be something like that. And we're all like, what? That's not life. Mm. You can't talk to that. Yeah, totally. Three, intelligent species lack advanced technology. Maybe they can't They're communicate not, or reach right. us. They don't You're have right. an iPhone. They don't have a Steve Jobs. They just, you know, they're just a bunch of algae. Haven't you seen Independence Day? Yeah, you always go to the movies, but those not, that's not real life. Not real life. This Come is on. real life. He's that talking was, real that life. That was a real movie. He, Could, he's talking about the Fromagene uh, paradox. Fromage? Really? Fromagenized. Currently, astronomers hmm. use radio telescopes to listen intently to the night sky, but what if nobody's broadcasting any signals to listen to? Yeah, maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe they're not into broadcasting. Maybe they're introverts. Maybe they're a planet... Full of yeah. introverts without uh, radio technology. Intelligent life self-destructs. Oh. Says whether via weapons of mass destruction, planetary pollution, or mal- malfactured, uh, manufactured diseases, yeah. it may be the nature of intelligent species to just commit suicide Maybe. existing for only a short time before winking out of existence. Maybe they've Kim Jong-un'd. Maybe they did. Five, the universe is a deadly place. <gasps> well, let's not talk about that. Yeah. So they may all, may... all it takes is an asteroid, supernova, gamma ray burst, solar flare. Any of those would harm life and maybe just eliminate it altogether. Can you go through that list one more time? One more time. All it takes, a single asteroid, supernova, gamma ray burst, or solar flare. See, so maybe it's more dangerous outside of our solar system. Could be. It's just not... There's just more problems. Uh, the sixth reason, they say, is space is big. The Milky That's Way. True. The Milky Way alone is one hundred thousand light years across, so it's conceivable that a that the focus signals of age, ancient or intelligent aliens are yeah. limited to the speed of light, so they haven't reached us. That seems more likely. It's just so big. We haven't. Yeah, and that's just well, that's just the Milky Way galaxy. We haven't been looking long enough. 80 years, that's the amount of time that radio telescopes, which allow us to detect alien signals, have been around. Yeah. We're new at this. So we're kind of maybe, you know, they're saying that, and we've been actively searching for aliens for maybe 60 of those years. Well, but, but, so, think, but think about what the technology was 30 years ago. Right. 
I mean, 30 years ago, we still had rabbit ears on this is our true. televisions. Right. Now I have an iPhone. Yeah. Why are, oh, we're playing Thanks this. to Steve Jobs. Um, we're not looking in the correct place. That could very easily be. We're I mean, looking. Yeah. How often have you not been able to find your kids because you're looking for them inside, but they're outside? So it says here, previously mentioned space is big. So there are tons of regions to listen to, uh, regions to listen to for alien signals. If we're not listening precisely in the direction from which the signal is originating, we'd never hear it. Andrew Fain explained in Universe Today, it's like trying to speak with your friend on a, oh my, I don't even know what number that is. Is it 250 billion channel CB radio without any knowledge of the frequency you're trying to find <laughs> we're, nine. we're looking for a space vehicle <laughs> test one test two over. Uh, nine a- alien technology may be too advanced and our radio technology doesn't work with whatever they're using and so we don't communicate that, maybe the, yeah hmm. we always think that they're not up with us but maybe they're like so ahead of us they haven't been using we're, we're like using a brick phone like a Motorola brick, right. and they're using like the latest iPhone 8. Like in Independence Day, they came down and they, 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 they communicated mentally. And they mm. actually, like that one doctor, remember him? They took his body over and they used him as the spokesperson? Yeah. With the tentacles? They just... <laughs> he wasn't tracking with you. Yeah, he's no, like, that was Brent Spiner. Yeah. like, what? Anytime what he, he talking disagrees, about? Oh, Brent Spiner, yeah. who also played Data on Star Spiner. Trek. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it like, all again, comes full circle. Yeah, one way or another. What if they're, you know, t- tele, what is that? Uh, Teleporting. No. Telema- telepathic. There you go, telepathic, and then we're trying to talk with radios. That doesn't work. What if they're teletubbies? It could be teletubbies. Uh, number 10, nobody's transmitting. Instead of everyone may be listening, maybe nobody's listening. Maybe they don't care. It's like a bad marriage. <laughs> everybody's transmitting, nobody's listening. But you know they're watching, yeah. and then it just says, without the sound. If aliens have radio telescopes similar to what we have here on Earth, our television radio broadcast would only be detectable up to 0.3 light years away. Hmm. Right, and we're talking about we're talking about planets it's that we're finding that are like forty thousand light years, wasn't it? Across our galaxy, yeah, it's a hundred, yeah, hundred thousand light years. So, and we can only. <laughs> so we're wondering why nobody's picking up because we we're a third of a light year out. Yeah. They can't hear our signals. I guess what's there's another assumption here that people would want to talk to us. Like maybe we are the strange people. Maybe we're that. Maybe we're those people that nobody likes. Maybe we're like. Eh. Remember we had the woman on about the party planner. She 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 wrote a, a book and then she mentioned a, a Queen Elizabeth's party planner. Oh yeah. And yeah. and they put all the weird people at the one table. Yeah, there's always the one table. Maybe we're the one table. Are we that one table? Are we the weird people at the table? We're the we're the 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 island of misfit toys. Hey, they just made a movie about that it's called Table, table 19. Nineteen. Yeah, it's a good movie. All the rejects are at one table That's at it. the wedding. Maybe we're at table nineteen, and all the cool people are up at table number one. I had very low expectations for that movie. And Did was you see Pleasantly it? surprised. Yeah, Lisa Kudrow's in it, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. You guys, amazingly, you just turned it into another she was movie. In, she was in a show discussion. called Friends, go. co-starring Matt LeBlanc, who was in the film version of Lost in Space. And now we're back to space again. Ugh. And aliens. It I all like comes full journey. circle, whether you that like it or not. was a weird journey for me. <laughs> so uh, any other reasons? Finally, yeah. Earth is deliberately not being contacted. Yeah. If you remember, there is a prime directive in Star Trek where they don't interfere with the natural progression of a, of a planet. They let them progress to the point 
where they can understand space travel and all this mm. stuff. They don't just go fly down there and go, hey, guess what? We have spaceships. Woo. Oh, interesting. That's a directive. It's a prime from directive. The it gets violated constantly in the show. Alliance. But prime directive. It's very important. Well, I think we've reached that point as an Earth where we're no longer progressing, it seems like. To space? Well, or just in general? I don't know. It just seems like in general. So it says, on Earth, we have policies about contacting indigenous peoples. It's possible that the same thing could be happening with us. Just like in Star Trek, advanced alien societies may enforce rules that limit contact only to species that attain a lofty degree of technological or cultural evolution. Hmm. So maybe we just don't impress them at all with what we've developed. Yeah, I, th- I, I think the best one is, yeah, we're planet, we're planet 19. Is that what it is? I'm we're just going to throw 19. this out there. Maybe they have already made contact, but we're not aware. Did you ever see Invasion of the Body Snatchers? And number 12, aliens are already here. We just don't realize it. (gasps) Oh, no. We know. That's true. All right. Now, if you ever see somebody throw their head back, point at you, and make this noise, I would start running. I would start running, drop what you're doing, and just run as fast as you can. That was scary. Yeah. That's uh, gave me chills. <laughs> you should have. It's sad. This is radio because yeah. if they could have seen your face, they would have started running. You went the full you, character. There. You lean back and you your chin. You hid your chin in your Adam's apple. Thank you for saying chin and not chins. Yeah. By the way, because you've been working. You've on lost it. your chins. What do you think the possibility is? That aliens are here and government agencies are covering this up. Just to keep the peace. Okay, let me – I think 100% likelihood that aliens are here because I feel like I've met some of them. Okay. Hmm. 0% chance the government has any idea. Really? Yeah. The big problem with the conspiracy is there's usually a lot of people involved yeah. and every one of them has to keep the secret. Well, and, and one thing humans like to say yeah. is if I have something of information that you don't have and it's very interesting, like I don't know, <laughs> aliens are actually here. Right. Keeping that secret – do you think, Wouldn't be something honestly, that if President Trump yeah. got the file, the special file that has all the special secrets, mm. do you think there's any way in the world he'd be able to keep any of them? <laughs> no. Like, what secret could well, he keep? I don't know if any president has access to all the secrets. They could get to them, but they no, first have to know they, well, they have to know they exist. You have but, to know that these... What do you think? Secret files exist. To but what do you them. think? Maybe they're keeping them from Donald. That's what President I'm saying. Trump. Is they probably keep them from most presidents. But it seems like the first night he's like, "Bring me the files. What files? The special files with all the secrets about aliens." Oh, don't you remember in the film <laughs> Independence Day Hold when on, that you're going guy? To a film. You're turning when right that to a film. guy on Bill Bill Pullman's staff. Mm tells him about Area 51, and Bill Pullman gets upset and says, why wasn't I told about this place? Yeah. Well, first he's like, okay, Area 51, there's nothing there, and then his, his assistant guys, comes up and goes, um, sir, you guys, uh, I was I just, something. That's not I, entirely accurate. And he sounds just hey, like Don Shaline, hey, by the way. Hey, I was Is just Don talking. an alien? Is who? I didn't want to say anything. Oh, wow. Are we doing this? I didn't, I didn't want to go, go there. Ahead. Go ahead. Restate. But, yeah, Don Shaline's an alien. Whoa. Our boss is an alien and apparently was abducted in the 70s hmm. while he was playing air flute <laughs> in a traveling band. He was abducted Well, at a concert. We all have origin stories. And he apparently has had a few hours where he doesn't remember anything that happened. 
He just remembers a lot of loud noises and a lot of bright lights. Loss, okay. loss of time is a very key element that shows up in many abduction stories. So, yeah. That's but what, here's the test. Have you ever seen him go like this? Ah! Hmm. I, I'm not going to comment on that. Okay. Uh-oh. Don's. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Don's. Don's. So there you go. Twelve reasons why we haven't found aliens. Um, and most of them have to do with the fact that we're probably not looking the right uh, We have a special guest joining the show now. Don, are you there? Oh, this works. Hi, Don. How you doing? You, you weren't listening to the show, were you? Am I on the air? Yeah, you're on the air. I can't hear what you're saying, but all I know is this is my real voice. You're scaring us. This is my alien voice today. Uh, did you hear hmm. that Jeff made a comment about your about your? He made a comment about your alienship nature. Anyway, he can't hear us. He's coming in, which here. is one of the signs of being an alien. Don's coming in. Um, he doesn't hear with his ears. He has tentacles for that. Whoa! Look at those tentacles, Don. Did you hear that? Uh, we've Jeff's Jeff's exposed you. No, he hasn't. Terry did, right? Terry did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terry did. No, enough of this movie is, talk after all. Is it true about <laughs> – did you want to talk about what happened to you in the 70s when you were playing air flute <laughs> and you were, you, you were abducted? Yeah, all I remember was I was up trying to be Jethro Tull. Next thing I know you, – You lost two hours of time. Yeah, I can't remember a thing about that time, but I came back. Those were the days, huh? With longer hair. Yeah, your hair was longer. I, re- yeah. I remember seeing the video. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, you were always talking about the two hours you lost. Yeah. You know, that uh, – the alien part? Yeah. It actually does exist. Just want you to know. So, well, yeah. You've seen it firsthand. <laughs> so do, do, do you want to weigh in on this? Of the 12 potential – Reasons we haven't found alien life form, which one is the true one? Because you would know. Yeah. We're boring. <laughs> we're totally boring. <laughs> we bore the aliens too much. They are so bored with what we're doing down it's here. so true. Yeah. That's there it. We go. That's it. And Don would know because Don's actually, he's been on their big ship. Yep. So I'm, I'm signing off now. Don Shaline, also a friend of the aliens. Sometimes I wish I could lose two hours. Just oh. not remember them. Many say you do. Many say you do lose <laughs> two or three hours a day. Anyway, again, how often do you get a live uh, interview with somebody that's been abducted? And we brought our very own Don Shaline in. And how weird is that that he's our boss, right? That's pretty cool. That's true. Gifts from heaven, folks. So we're already uh, in servitude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In servitude. Uh, up next, we'll continue the journey, do a little wrap-up with some empty news. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, helping uh, everybody understand their alien nature. Right here on BYU Radio. Time to hit the empty news uh, segment with our empty news reporter and in-house anchor, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey? So where is the most interesting place you've seen a car where maybe it doesn't belong? In a tree. In a tree, really? Yeah. How did that happen? After a flood. I don't think it was was one of the hurricanes. There was a tree, a car in a tree. Okay. Now let me ask you another question. Uh, 
how everybody comes across a driver or somebody in their car that yeah. ticks them off. How would you handle somebody that is blocking you with their car? And not letting me... I'm in my car? Yeah, nobody can get by because the car is in the way. Is the person in the car? No. What am I driving? You're driving your VW. And I'm blocked. Yes. I'd tow him. I'd have him towed. Okay. I'd call a tow truck, have him towed. Well, this took place in eastern China. A blazing fight between security guards and a driver blocking a residential estate's entrance mm. ended with her car being lifted by a crane onto a roof. <laughs> so, uh, this, like I said, this happened in eastern China. Uh, this woman illegally parked for 38 hours oh, and refused brother. to pay a fine. So the security guards had the last laugh when their bosses hired a crane to pick up the car and put it on the roof of a building. They obviously had total confidence in the strength of their own building's roof. The scene caused a stir among residents who began taking selfies and photographs of the marooned car as the (laughs) incident went viral on Chinese social media. That's amazing. Chinese media reported the female driver and a representative of the residential community were both asked to visit a local police station to settle the dispute. Several hours later, another crane turned up and removed the car from the roof. It's a great shot. Uh, we'll put it on our, our Twitter page. It's just like at the entrance of the uh, it's at the entrance of the parking lot, and I guess it's a message to everyone, don't block our parking lot. See, I think most people would sympathize with the security guards. Oh, yeah. Because on some of our darker days, we all dream about doing stuff no, like I, this. No, I would – like when you were asking me that, I, if I had a big truck, I'd just drive right over the car. Oh, yeah, like a monster, monster truck? Monster truck. Just drive right over it. Hmm. Crash it. Destroy it. Then, you know. What does it say about us that we daydream about these types of things? There were dangerous, you know, potential felons. Hmm. But full of love. And a good laugh. <laughs> That's the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. Dr. Matt here with Jeff Simpson and Terry South, of course. Top of the morning to you or bottom of the morning as it might be. We got a great uh, program. We're going to be talking about ways that you may be relationally aggressive. Some signs that you may be overly aggressive in your most romantic, intimate relationships. Aren't we typically, though, meanest to the people that we're closest to? Yeah, but so this would be a sign that maybe you're abusive. Maybe you're getting into the actually too aggressive of a, of a stance with your partner. And it's it's a subtle little thing you may not even be paying attention to. Dr. Brian Willoughby will be joining us to talk about aggressiveness and, you know, how it can get out of hand. And when it does, that's where, you know, that's where you end up on an episode of Cops. <laughs> not good, folks. 
you can't have it. And so there's just little subtle signs you could pay attention to. And it really is more like you might be a little passive aggressive. I don't know. We'll have him clarify. Okay. But it's but the passive aggressiveness may be leading to bigger aggression if somebody pushes back. Scary stuff, but actually important, I think, to all of our relationships. So we'll be getting into that today. Also, a lot of news to cover. Irma, 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 Irma is making her way to Puerto Rico right now. In fact, <sighs> Richard Branson, who owns Virgin Airlines and half of the other you know, entities from the UK, he owns everything. He apparently is hunkering down on his uh, island um, at uh, – at a luxury retreat from Necker Island in the British Virgin Isles, and uh, the record-breaking hurricane is approaching his luxury retreat. That's scary. Irma's going to pound down on Necker Island. And he doesn't want to leave? Yeah, he's not leaving. He's just. He said, we were listening to parrots in their boxes in the next room. So they've gathered all the any animals they can off the island, I guess, and put them in rooms and... Hunkering down, Ooh. Irma. By the way, Necker Island. And what did uh, what do you always say every time I say Necker? Necker. <laughs> I hardly know her. Necker Island is apparently his quaint little island retreat. He's he's. You can see, I guess, uh, people that are on the island are all bedding down. They're you know they're bat battening down the hatches. Is that the word? They're getting ready. <laughs> Crazy stuff, but they're also still having time for some games. And what do you do when you're waiting for a hurricane level five to come pass over? I don't know. I think I would have taken one of his airplanes and gotten off the island. Uh, yeah, yeah. This yeah. has he not has he not watched Gilligan's Island? I think you know. For a lot of people, it's just like if I'm going to go down, it's not going to be by somebody named Irma. Yeah, Ugh. I we talked about this. It should have been. A stronger name. Many people, 50 people died with Harvey and not to mention maybe $100 plus billion of damage and 100,000 cars. Is that it? More than that probably. Uh, crazy numbers. So who knows what Irma's going to do? By the way, what would you name it? If, what would be a more destructive name than Irma? Destructor? It's got to be an I. Oh, it's got to be an I? Mm-hmm. Ooh, they can't do Ike. No, they are. They already no. named one Ike. Yeah, that was historic. That, yeah, and that, that's the other thing. If it's historic, that name kind of goes away. Yeah, you don't want to name it after a yeah because there's a previous storm because you yeah. don't want to have storm envy. Ichabod, is that an I? And yeah, is that a scary? I mean, Ichabod. You ever crane. see that movie yeah, or read the book? It's scary. Hurricane Ichabod. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking more like. Iron Horse. Iron Horse. Okay. That just sounds scary. So it's Irma, right? Irma. Irma. So we have to go because they go boy, girl yeah. kind of thing. So Harvey, Irma. Isabella. Hmm. Iris. Ivy. Uh, Irene. Come on, Irene. Ingrid. Wrong song. India. Any of those? No. Indiana. No, you don't want to ruin a state name. Hmm. No. <laughs> well, we'll work on it. If you have any ideas, tweet us at Dr. Matt Show. We'd love to know. Inez, Isadora, mm. Ivanka. Ooh. Bum, 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 bum. That's it. We may have hit pay dirt. You can't name it Ivanka. No. Now, Ivana. Ivory? Eh. 
Mm. Irina? Irene? I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that doesn't seem more... That's a baby naming list there. Maybe the thing is you don't name it uh, with an ominous name because you don't want people to be afraid of it until you need to be. Right. Hmm. Maybe that's it. So maybe, you know, something as simple as Irma. Oh. Oh, look, look, you just put a positive spin on that. It's, Other you know, than it's, it's, it's the most powerful storm that we've ever seen in, oh, since 2007. Oh, but what a beautiful name for such a destructive <laughs> agent. Yeah. Scary. So we'll be talking about uh, some empty news today as well. Um, in fact, we'll also visit with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. But on the bright side, yeah. as you're waiting for a certain football game this weekend, mm-hmm. if you're interested in it, the pregame, you can watch uh, like meteorologists really overqualified to be standing on a beach trying to stand up yeah. in a storm. Those are those are my favorite shots. Like, wow. You, Leaning into the storm. How many degrees do you have to yeah. stand out there in the wet, sandy beach and get blasted it's by a, sea yeah, spray? Some guy with a PhD. And he's in his galoshes, leaning right. into the wind, and all you hear is wind noise. No, no, no. They figured out microphone technology that it still works. Well, where where mm. do they put the mic? I don't know. I was trying to look at the weather channel during the you know initial approach of mm-hmm. Harvey. It was really windy, but very clear in the audio. You know, so so much so that you had two guys on separate locations in Houston, getting just blown all over the place, talking to each other. They weren't talking yeah. back to the studio. You're talking to just reporters talking, yeah, on the scene storm together, to storm. so they could hear each other. The communication That's worked. That's amazing. I don't, mm. So they really, yeah. So, so they have figured out how to talk storm to storm uh, with two people in a storm, mm-hmm. yep. but but they still can't figure out how to keep my phone working. <laughs> yeah. on I-15 on the freeway. One yeah. problem at a time, Matt. Come on, we'll get there. Irma. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, okay. Good. More power to him. Uh, We'll talk uh, with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. We'll have a hero story coming up as well as some more empty news you're not going to want to miss. But first to the real headlines, the national headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? So, of course, course, eyes all all eyes on Irma. Irma. Harvey, people recovering, rebuilding. Irma going to cause similar problems in Florida. We'll see what happens. That whole area of the Florida Keys, there's one highway in and out. Yep. They're already closing a base down, having 5,000 people from the base. Get out of there. Skedaddle. It should hit Florida Friday. And maybe it'll diminish. Maybe Maybe. it'll just like puff out after Puerto Rico. We'll see what happens. In other news, hours after the Trump administration announced the end of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, President Trump insisted that he has a great love for the people who were protected under DACA. I have a great heart for the folks we are talking about, Trump told reporters Tuesday. Um, he was, But he's just not going to do anything about it? He also made the point to note that while people typically think in terms of children, when they're talking about dreamers, these those who were brought to the U.S. illegally as children and are protected under DACA, they are really young adults now. Right. So we're not just sending like little right. kids home. It's they're, they're adults now. So it's different. We're sending young adults that are now lived here their entire life right. home. But well, their home is here. But they're not little. They're not like little kids. No, they were, so we're sending grown-ups yeah. who have grown up here. And by the way, one who rescued a lot of people in Houston. Houston. Hmm. Another one that died trying to rescue people yeah. in Houston. Regardless, Trump said he hopes Congress will be able to help those young adults with a legislative solution after he ends the program protecting them. 
The Trump administration has decided to partially delay the process of rescinding DACA to let Congress adjust, address the issue first, a six-month delay. But it seems like as a leader, what you do is you lead and you like say, mm-hmm. we need to do whatever we can to keep these people here. They're great citizens. Ninety percent of them are employed. They're right. doing everything they can. I mean, that's a higher employment rate than any other well, not, group they're not, of people. They're employed or in college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's... He just we need to he needs to delete it and then say okay so Congress do something now that's I get that make Congress do something but tell us what lead it like right. give us your leadership yeah no well, he he's gonna watch he's gonna wait and see <sighs> okay. in other news more than 100 aftershocks have rattled southeastern Idaho since a 5.3 magnitude quake hit near the town of Soda Springs late last week and experts say they could continue for a week or so the 5.3 quake hit about 6 p.m. Saturday. There were no reports of injuries or damage, though officials say 17,000 people reported feeling the 5.3 quake from as far away as Salt Lake City, which is 170 miles away from Soda Springs. Ah. Wow. By noon on Tuesday, more than 102 additional earthquakes have been recorded in the region by the U.S. Geologic Survey, all magnitudes 4.5 or less. They likely taper off by the end of the week, says one of the geophysicists for the USGS. They can go on for days and weeks, and they'll get smaller in size and frequency. I hope they didn't have any soda nearby Could be. when there was an earthquake No, it going springs on. forward there. It springs forth right out of there. Well, that's I'm just saying all you, soda. Sh- you shake it all up. Yeah. Whew, that's have you explosive. been to Diet Soda Springs? Mm, it's not as tasty as it's, Soda Springs. It's hard getting into brown water like that, but yeah. it's yummy. In other news, Beyonce will not be adding basketball team owner to her impressive resume, at least not yet. Yes. The singer was rumored to be part of an investment group looking to buy the Houston Rockets, but the group lost out to billionaire restaurateur Tillman Frittita? Frittata? Sort of. I was going to say Frittata, but it's not. I love you say Frittata, I say Frittata. It's yeah. probably Frittata. TMZ reports Frittata will reportedly buy the team from current owner Leslie Alexander for $2.2 billion. Wow. A record price for an NBA team. Alexander originally bought the team for $85 million. Oh, So you, oh. you buy it for $85 million in 93 and turn yeah. a profit, you flip the team to $2.2 billion. That's a good, that was a good investment. Oh, yeah. 85 to $2.2. You've done okay. The new owner currently stars in the CNBC reality series Billion Dollar Buyer and is reportedly worth $3.1 billion. Wow. So most of his investment... Well, he didn't buy it solely outright. There's okay. an investment team. He's yeah. probably the lead, but there's other people involved. And so you know if you're buying a team, the first person you think of is, let's get Beyonce on this thing. Well, yeah. Let's get her money. Jay-Z, they've got – they're loaded. Sure. I'd probably if – if you're at it, I'd go to the Kanye West, Kim Kardashian clan, they bring should, them onto the team. They should have let her in on the deal, but as part of the deal, she would have to perform at halftime mm-hmm. quarterly. Yes, Yes. And always start her concerts in Houston. Could be. That's where she's from. Big money. Oh, is it? Yeah. Did she she hear about the hurricane? She probably is aware. That's why she's raising money like everyone else. (laughs) Huge. Finally, legend has it that King Arthur ordered a faithful servant to throw his sword Excalibur into a lake after he was mortally wounded in a battle. A British seven-year-old has just pulled a sword from that very lake. <laughs> While on holiday in Cornwall on August 29th, Matilda Jones asked her dad if she could go for a swim to beat the heat, reports the Sheffield Star, which I know Matt reads often. Yeah, I read it last day. He agreed and on their way to Dosemary Pool, or Dosemary Pool, told his daughter how King Arthur's legendary sword was said to rest there. <gasps> That's the legend. Shortly after wading into the lake, Matilda told her dad that she found a sword. 
Dad, goes, what's this? I told her not to be silly. It was probably just a bit of fencing. Paul Jones tells the star. But when I looked down, I realized it was a sword. It was just laying there flat on the bottom of the lake. Jones isn't holding out hope that the four-foot-long sword is the one that inspired the Arthurian legend. It's about 20, 30 years old and probably an old film prop. But he says, it's still a neat coincidence. Yeah. Mm. Way to dismiss it, Dad. What if it's Excalibur? It's the deal. Yeah. Well, no. It's different. I was thinking, well, now she's the king of England or the queen of England. Yeah. Right? You take, but no, you have to pull it from the stone. Then you become the royalty. Well, there were some stones on it that she probably had to yeah. wipe yeah, off. Maybe the stones. Find, finding it in the lake, it's like the lady of the lake is supposed to guard it, and she wasn't doing her job. Where apparently. is she? She yeah. was out to lunch. What's up with that? Lazy lady of the lake. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a good tongue twister. Try to say that ten times. Nah. I'm really tired. <laughs> no. I had, a, I had a long night. I'm really tired this morning. Boy, how funny is that, that Matilda's like, Dad, there's something in the lake. It's totally something it's my son would do. And then you pull like, a, then, it's not then, a sword. Then he, then he pulls a stick out of the water. Yeah. yeah. But she she pulls out Excalibur. Yeah. And the sword, it's it's metal. It looks authentic, but it's probably a movie prop. What if or we find out a prank. she's the Queen of England? Well... We'll see what happens there. There's well, been, there's been. Remember the guy in Ohio said that he has royal blood and that he wants his, uh, yeah, he wants his crown. And they found out that he's the guy that's around a bunch of insurance scams. Well, he's also, yeah, yeah but he was really just more burger royalty. Mm. Burger royalty. He was from the Burger King. You right. become, Kingdom. yeah, you become a burger royal when you eat at Burger King enough. Mm-hmm. When you're loyal enough. Yeah. When you're loyal to be royal and you're huge. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> he was a good guy. What happened to him? I mean, again, all these people just uh, – as somebody that has watched now The Queen – is that what it's called? The Crown, I mean. And mm-hmm. The Crown and I've watched Victoria and every season of Downton Abbey. Mm. Then I know a lot about royal blood. Wrong. And I don't know. I think there's something to this girl finding Excalibur. People are dismissing it. It's just like, trying to downplay that's it. That's just a movie prop. Hey, was there a movie there that left swords in the last 50 years? I doubt it. It's not a movie prop. It's Excalibur. It's just, a, lot of, a lot of movies about King Arthur have been made in the I past know. few decades. I've watched a lot of them. <clears throat> I think it's exciting news. I, if I were you, don't look, don't look down your nose at Matilda. She may very well be the next Queen of England. You're wrong. Yeah, always wrong. Up next, Dr. Brian Willoughby will be joining us as we talk about ways that uh, might be telling you you are relationally aggressive. Some signs to be looking out for. you got to be careful with that. You can't just all of a sudden get aggressive in your relationship, be aggressive. you got to be careful or uh, it causes bigger problems. All straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. We are joined now by Dr. Brian Willoughby. Brian is an associate professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University and focuses on young adult dating and relationship patterns, as well as having an expertise in dating, sexuality, cohabitation, marriage formation. Today, by the way, also talking about aggressiveness in marriage. Brian, thanks for being with us. Good to be here. Also, by the way, the co-author of the book, The Marriage Paradox. That's right. Which is a must-read. 
Absolutely. Every person on the planet (laughs) should read it. Even if you're not married, planning on being married, ever want to be married, you need to read the parody. Even if you can't read. Even if you can't read, you can download it on audio. (laughs) It's a great read or listen to it. Um, So, Brian, talk to us about uh, aggressiveness. I mean, if you're not careful, you may not even know how aggressive you are until – it rears its ugly head. Yeah. So so the type of aggression we're talking about today is what's called relational aggression. And and the interesting thing about relational aggression is we've we've studied it for a long time, but we used to call it emotional abuse. Yeah. So it used to be kind of studied around, you know, physical violence and right. abuse. But the more we started to to first off acknowledge that emotional abuse is exists. abuse yeah. and it exists, we started to realize that it's really, really common. And not only that, the fascinating thing about this topic is that we've found, and I have colleagues that have argued to me quite convincingly, that this is one of the best predictors of healthy marriages and relationships that we have now. Really? That that, that this one thing, that if you have this in your relationship, it's one of the best predictors of divorce and problems that we have because it's such a powerful thing, Hmm. a powerful negative thing that families and and couples can do is to have this kind of relational – this specific type of aggression. And because it seems like too – it's it's subtle. So if it's one thing mm-hmm. if I'm harming you physically, but this is so subtle that it kind of probably just chips away. Yeah. A slow chipping away at the relationship. It does. Yeah, and it, it leads to some really negative cycles in relationships, and it does. It kind of chips away at the stability of the relationship. Mm. What um okay, so how would we know if we have it? So so what relational aggression is at its core? It's doing things, whether it's through my behavior or through my communication, that is sending you the message, my partner the message, that the relationship is contingent on what you do. Mm. So in other words, so a lot of times the common term we might put on things like this is being passive aggressive. So I'm doing things to kind of put you on notice that, hey, you either shape up do what I want, or I'm going to do this thing that you don't like, or I'm going to withhold this thing that mm. you do like. Yeah. Um, and, and what it does then is it sends this message to our partner that the relationship and the love that I'm going to give to you is contingent on you doing what I want. That's scary because, because then all of a sudden, too, you realize you're not in a relationship that's necessarily forever. It's totally dependent. Right. Yeah. And it's it's actually the same reason why people are physically abusive, right? Yeah. Is I'm hitting you to tell you that you need to shape up and do this thing yeah. that I want. And this is the same sort of behavior, only now it's emotional hmm. or now it's based on my communication. And so it's, it's a little bit more subtle and a lot more common because most people have a filter and says, I, I don't beat on my spouse. Um, but these are the things that a lot of us do tend to do sometimes. Do you sense that this um, – that emotional abuse go, has gone up since physical abuse, if it has, gone down? Is um, there a parallel? Because it seems like when words don't work and we don't know how to be healthy, it's either going to come out physically or kind of non-verbally but emotionally abusive. Right. I, I think it's always been there. Yeah. We're just doing a better job of recognizing, recognizing. it and understanding that it is there. Um, however, I, I do think – and I, now I'm going to say this anecdotally with no research yeah. evidence behind it. But I do think it probably is a little bit more common now than it has been in the past. And that's simply because one of the things we've talked about before is that relationships and marriage now are much more about me. It's about my happiness yeah. and, and my individuality and what I want in the relationship. And so because of that, I'm maybe more likely to say, hey, you're not giving me what I want 
And so I need to figure out ways right. that I can get that out of you. Well, and too, I guess the more we've talked about it, I mean, now more people see it, they diagnose it, right. they they bring it up. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. So what are the signs that we might be uh, aggressive relationally? So one of the most common things that people do in relationships that, that fits in this relational aggressive category is what we call love withdrawal, which is this idea that I will withdraw my oftentimes physical affection from you if you're not doing what I want. And again, that whatever that is could be, you know, from not taking the garbage out yeah. to not spending enough time with me to anything and everything in between. But it's all of a sudden you're going to notice that, hey, I'm, I'm not kissing you as much. Yeah. Or I'm going to actually withhold sex in the relationship. And I might not even be explicit in the sense that I'm not telling you, hey, I'm not kissing you because you didn't do this. But you're obviously going to know. Yeah. You act differently. Something's not you. right. Something is not right. And I'm going to do that every time you don't do this thing or every time you do start to do this thing. So that's just their way of trying to control right. the behavior yeah. of the other. And so in terms of identifying it, the best way to identify is to start to ask yourself, do I ever find myself not expressing love to my partner when I'm mad about something? And are there certain things that my partner does or doesn't do that make that more likely hmm. to happen? It's interesting and because a lot of people – might get into like the natural like pursuer withdrawer pattern where they just don't they just withdraw from the relationship right. is that this relationally aggressive or is this more pernicious is this more ugly yeah the, the pursuer distancer type of pattern withdrawing is, is oftentimes more based on anxiety more yeah. than anything else is that i pursue 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 i don't get positive feedback so then i withdraw pull, yeah. and pull back this is like i said more about control Right. This is more about I'm trying to get you to do something. I'm trying to get you to, to not do something. I'm trying to control you, you in some way to make the relationship better in my mind. Mm. And so it is much more about kind of manipulation, which is why it's such a negative correlate to stability. Absolutely. And it's um, in a weird way, too, because now with more and more people having attachment issues, mm-hmm. how, how, did, how ugly is that if I don't show you love and I know you need – Love, right. right? Then it's like that. Really, is like yeah. you're intentionally trying to hurt someone. Yeah, and, and that's where the really negative cycle can start. Is that if I start to do this and I withhold my love because I want you to change? Yeah. Well, for that partner, I sense the love withdraw. If I have attachment issues, or if honestly, if I'm just a human being, right? It doesn't make me want to do things for you anymore. And so that can actually lead to more conflict, more of the negative behavior. You're going to withdraw your love even more. And that's where couples can start to feel like they're stuck because then mm. we, we get stuck in this vicious cycle. Can the love be anything – it can be like some might want physical love, but could I also just withhold communication? Yeah. And that's – if you need communication to feel loved, yeah. that's the same thing. Yeah, because again – Or I doing do, the laundry or whatever. I, I do this based on what I know is going to hurt you. I mean it, yeah. even if it's kind of subtle and I'm not actively thinking it through, I'm doing it to hurt you because mm. I hope that if – it hurts a little bit. You'll change your behavior. And so you're right. For some people, it might be, I'm, I'm not going to say I love you anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to do these little acts of service that I would normally do. I'm wow. going to spend less time around you. I'm going to go to a different room because I know you like to, you know, at this you time like in the evening. You like us in the same space. You like us in the same space. It could be different for different couples. Unbelievable. That is, that's a big sign. Mm-hmm. That's a scary. So you're saying if we see that in our relationship, it's a sign that we are relationally aggressive or we have it in our marriage, we need to work on it. Yeah. 
and and the the way to to, to recognize the love withdrawal and this this happens for a lot of people is it's that little voice in your head that kind of says towards your partner i'm going to i'm going to show you yeah you're you gonna you learn. did this you're I, gonna, yeah just just wait I'm i'll get have you back you begging yeah Oh, that's scary. Controlling. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Brian Willoughby, author of The Marriage Paradox. You can find out more at his website, drbrianwilloughby.com, drbrianwilloughby.com. A great uh, source for uh, you can get to all of his articles, his writings, as well as his books. Um, We'll continue the journey and the discussion about what might – how you might be able to determine if you have relational aggressiveness in your relationship or in yourself. Uh, interesting insights straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. back with Dr. Brian Willoughby here from Brigham Young University. He's an associate professor in the School of Family Life at BYU and uh, also is, uh, is an expert in um, – an international expert in the field of couple and marital relationships. He's also the co-author of the book The Marriage Paradox. You can find out more at drbrianwilloughby.com, drbrianwilloughby.com. And today he's talking to us about ways that we might – signs we might be emotionally – aggressive, relationally, sorry, aggressive. One of the things that he was mentioning is this idea that we we tend to, um, I guess the best way to put it is we we just pull away our love. If we're not getting what we want, we just take up our toys and leave. Right, exactly. Whether it's giving physical affection or service or whatever. What should we do? So if we see that in our marriage, what should we do? Mm-hmm. So there's there's a, a mental aspect to this and a behavioral part. Yeah. On, on the mental side, we simply have to recognize, and this is just an important thing in general in communication, that we can't control our partners. Yeah. Right. That what what we're doing, it might actually lead to some changes, but it's going to undermine the relationship. So we first have to just internally recognize that this is not a good way to try to change our partners. But behaviorally, one of the things we'll actually encourage couples to do in this situation is that when you find yourself having conflicts, that usually what starts this is I'm mad, I'm frustrated, is actually intentionally show more love. So in other words, kind of switch your perspective and say your punishment is I'm going to show you even more love than it before. I'm going to really hound you. Right. And it's it's so counterintuitive to how we want to kind of get back at people Mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, But if I have that mentality, and you usually have to decide this before the conflict because you're not going to be thinking – in the moment, right. oh, yeah, now I'm going to hug you even more yeah. or do all these acts of service. But if I've kind of decided that for myself, that when, we, when we're struggling, when I'm mad at you, I'm going to take my anger out by doing the dishes even more. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take my anger <laughs> out great. by yeah. making out with you even more. Yeah. Um, and, and what that does is it changes the mentality to now I'm not trying to get you to do something. I'm not trying to get back at you. I'm I'm – I'm in some ways trying to say this this little thing that we're dealing with isn't that big of a deal right. because there's this love underneath it that's more important. And when we're frustrated with each other, when I'm mad, I just I want you to know that I love you. And yeah. what that can open up sometimes, so this isn't about dismissing the problem, but it's about diffusing the situation so that maybe we can have healthier communication mm. about it. That's great. So really you're doing the opposite. And I mean, too, even opening it up and you could be more overt and say normally what I would do right now is – 
right. just pull away from you, but mm-hmm. I know I need to stay engaged. Right. And if you think about it from the other partner's perspective, is that if you're withholding love from me, what am I most likely to feel? Probably mad. Right. Anger. But if it switches, and let's let's go to acts of service, and I notice, hey, my, my partner's like doing everything for me. Uh-oh. Yeah. I did something wrong. That's my right. cue in the Something's relationship. Right that I'm, when they start acting really nice towards me, I've done something wrong. Because yeah, the other normally it's the other way. Right. And 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 think about how much more likely I am to be like, oh wow, what what do I need to do to change now? I'm yeah. actually more likely to invest in change in the relationship because you're being nicer to me right. than you normally would. Well, and that's yeah, and we're not going to play dysfunctional because one of us is. Right. I'm just going to choose to be healthy here. Exactly. Um, another uh, sign that we may be getting into um, some relational aggressiveness is social sabotage. Yes. Explain what that means. So that means I'm now going outside of the relationship, bringing another person in. It could be a parent. It could yeah. be a friend. It could be a child in some situations um, to, again, make you feel bad. And so, so what I'm sending a message to you is that, you know what? I don't need you because I have my mom. I don't need you because I have my friends. Oh, yeah. And so I can go over here. So if you're not going to give me what I need, if you're not going to give me I'll what I want. I'll just be with my buddies. I'll be with my buddies. Mm. I'm going to go out golfing or I'm going to go have my girls night or I'm going to get on the phone with yeah. my mom for a couple hours. And and again, this is this is different than what we might call triangulation or, or just simply de-stressing. So I call my mom and just vent because to truly be relationally aggressive, I'm going to bring it up to you. And oh, say, oh, hey, by the way, I talked to my mom today. Yeah. Guess what she thinks about this? So then you use that as the whip, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm again, leaking I'm, it out the other side of the relationship. Yeah. And you're, the, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. I'm still using this thing that I'm doing, in this case, social sabotage, to try to make you to f- feel bad, to try to get you to change. And so I'm going to let you know about it. Interesting. Um, one one of the really common ways this actually happens in in relationships is when you're in a group setting, uh-huh. and you'll have one partner or one spouse kind of draw this subtle kind of sarcastic comment about their spouse, so like, "Oh yeah, my my husband who's standing right here, yeah. he does this all the time," and it's it's it it's throws kind them of, under the bus. Yeah, and it's kind of meant to be this like sarcastic, funny, but yeah. it, it kind of underneath it's kind of a mean comment. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about is, hey, I'm going to kind of make you embarrassed in this group. So that you don't do that anymore. Oh wow, that is kind of passive aggressive, punitive, right? Beat down, mm-hmm. unbelievable, and it hurts. Why? What? I mean, because it's it, it's got to hurt on many levels. Yeah, because there's there's this sense of betrayal sometimes with that. Is that we all have this relationship boundary, and we assume that you know our struggles or or our, our private discussions will stay private and so now you're kind of bringing our relationship baggage out into the open yeah and oftentimes doing it in a way where i don't feel like i can defend myself because if you take that situation we're at a little group setting with a couple couples you make that comment well i, I can't now come to my own defense and say what are you talking about because now we're fighting in front right. of everyone right oh yeah and you're stuck you right. just Smile and yeah, take you it. You smile and you take it. And, and then again, it gets stuck in a cycle because now I might be thinking, well, I'll get you back later. Well, that's what's interesting because you could have both of you being relationally aggressive. Yes. And then that just that's just ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's when you really get that negative downward spiral. Mm. Um, so what should we do instead if we're not going to throw her under the bus right. during the dinner? Well, well, obviously, again, recognizing that this isn't good for the relationship. And, and with the social sabotage, oftentimes we do it with people we think will 
support our position right. and validate us. And that, that validation is perfectly normal. We want that and yeah. it's a good thing. But again, we have to turn inward. We have to turn to our partners and look for that validation. So instead of looking to my parents or looking to my friends to support me, I need to express that to my partner and say, I want my support from you. I want to be validated by you. And I have to do that in turn. Hmm. I had to be looking for ways to validate your position. So whatever it is that we disagree, <laughs> and this is something we've talked about before, is that if you're doing something I don't like, instead of just getting mad about it, think about why are you doing it? What, what What's happening in the relationship or what is it about you that I need to support or maybe do a better job on my end to help you feel more supported in the relationship? Yeah, because there's there's really – there's something deeper going on with all of these, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. People, people – my assumption in most marriages and most relationships is that if someone's not taking out the trash or not providing enough physical intimacy, it's not because they're purposely saying, you right. know what? I just hate your guts. <laughs> I, my, my purpose today was right. to make your life suck. Yeah. It doesn't – that's not their goal. Right. There's something else. And I mean are these learned behaviors? Did we learn this from our how our parents – it can handled be. love. Yeah, it, it can be. From, are we just improvising? It can be from family of origin. It can be from previous re- romantic yeah, relationships true, huh? that I've learned, or it could be just the way that our relationship developed over time. Yeah, and and they are. You can change them. Yes, you mm-hmm. just have to be intentional and yeah, be different. Yeah, and again, as I said earlier, making a lot of these decisions before we're in conflict. So yeah. not when we're fighting, not when I'm mad, but when we're calm and kind of collectively coming together and saying, okay. When this happens, because it happens in every relationship, how are we going to act differently next time? Boy, that's cool. Great advice. You know, you really ought to write about that. Yeah, another book? Yeah, think about it. <laughs> Have you thought about writing another book, Bray? Not quite yet. Yeah, let this one let, let this one settle. Yeah. Then you'll write another one. Yep. Dr. Brian Willoughby is his name. Go to his website, drbrianwilloughby.com. Dr. Brian Willoughby is a professor, associate professor in the School of Family Life at BYU you're not going to want to miss him. He's on the show every couple of weeks, and uh, you can go back to uh, iTunes or TuneIn or Stitcher or BYURadio.org to find any of his past episodes. Uh, he's the man, the myth, the legend. Thanks, Bry. Thank you. We will continue the journey up next. Our good friends from BYU Sports Nation, we're going to be, uh, I don't know, we're, we're going to talk about Colin Kaepernick, if I, can, if, I can, if I dare do it. We're going to bring it up with the good brethren. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Yes, friends, it is that time to go check in with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Uh, today it is Spencer Linton and Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Hello. You know Hi, what, Matt. You know what the good shepherd, or not the good shepherd, the good brethren. You are the good like? shepherd. Thank you. Yes. yes. It's my nickname in high school. It was not. <laughs> the good uh, shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, the good brethren sounds like a procedural on CBS. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah. That's the goal. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure you could put that on after any NFL game, yeah. and that would get huge ratings. The Good Brethren. And I think, I think, too, you could put on The Good Shepherd. We could. I still have not seen that movie with Matt Damon, who I've been told uh, we look alike. I'm just saying. No, you, you do. I think you're better looking than Matt Damon. Well, thank you. The thank Good you. Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. <laughs> uh, hey, by the way, speaking of CBS, you, you took me right to my segue. Beautiful. Of course, as a, as a good producer slash talent would. Um, 
Did you hear? Did you hear in the Sports Illustrated uh, they did an interview with the CBS Sports chairman Sean McManus, who who announced that according to CBS's proprietary data about the NFL ratings declining last year, it they believe it it some of it is attached to Kaepernick's kneeling. To like, Colin Kaepernick, are uh-huh. you really going to give him that much credit that the NFL ratings are declining? Do they actually say in the research about all their interviews of the de- declining ratings, it's many, many, many people mentioned their frustration and disgust with the kneeling. Yeah, I, I've heard that. Um, Do you buy I've it? I've not actually seen the numbers that yeah. they were talking about, but I have heard in different media reports where that's something that's been put out there. Yeah, but that's a good question. Is he? Is anybody that that powerful? But I mean, there's and probably NFL uh, numbers have got to have other reasons other than Kaepernick. But I mean, it's apparently uh, it's in. You guys ought to read it. It's in Sports Illustrated, so it's totally factual. Oh yeah, clearly. <laughs> I would love to see the statistical data if they would make it available. I don't see, and that's what I don't think they will, because he, he he was very adamant that it's proprietary. Yeah, that's interesting that they won't make any of that available. Is that – do you think there's – because if, if the case were really about just ratings, uh, um, that might make sense, I guess, why Kaepernick's not getting picked up. But is is there other reasons? Is he, is he, is he as talented as, you know, some think he is? I think that every – team owner and general manager has a different spin yeah. on it. Whether really? they think he's not a good quarterback and not fit for the NFL because teams know how to defend him now mm. or if they just don't want the sideshow. Like I think every GM has their own specific reasons. I don't think there is one blatant reason why he isn't a quarterback in the NFL. Personally, I don't really care about the sideshow circus. If he wants to do that, that's his agenda. And yeah. I don't care. Like, Look, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, there's, do, you, do your thing. There, there are a lot of people that think he's an average quarterback at best. And I wish he had been an average quarterback at best when he played BYU here. Yeah. Because he destroyed yeah, remember that? the University of Nevada. Now, the thing is, when he broke onto the scene in the NFL, he was a unique oh, yep. yeah. quarterback. He took him to the Super Bowl. People right? weren't sure, and by people I mean defenses and defensive coordinators were not sure how to defend him because he he <laughs> was unlike any other quarterback. Yeah, he had legs. He runs like a gazelle, had a rocket arm. You know, people are like, well, he's kind of like Michael Vick. No, he's different than Michael Vick. Mm-hmm. He, he is more, uh, what's the word? I'm, I don't want to say elusive, but the point is, he, he just was a unique quarterback brand. And once they figured out how to defend him yep. and force him to throw the ball and make reads and, I mean, dare him to, like, beat <laughs> beat them by being a surgeon like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, he was done. Over. Game over. Done. Yeah. Yeah. No, see? See, that's why I bring it to you guys. And you you included the word gazelle, which is one of my favorite Well, you're welcome. Herd animals. Um, Again, sports are largely based on opinion. So, but for me, some GMs don't want the circus. Some GMs don't think that he can be a successful passing NFL quarterback. And some GMs probably have a mix of both in their mind. Right. By the way, I did get bad news uh, for Jason. Um, Beyonce Uh, apparently will not be one of the basketball team owners to the Rockets. Oh, come on. I know. I know. You thought that was the perfect combination. But apparently it's not happening. 
So, so they are they are not putting a ring on it. No, they're not. They are not putting a ring on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I have that. Uh, it's in my my iTunes library. I love that. Song. No, I do too. Uh, uh, love it. But I'm, I'm not the, even going to. But the best version is the SNL version with Timberlake dancing. <laughs> yes. And tight in tights. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of SNL, mm-hmm. you know, with with Halloween coming up. You know what I'm really excited for? What? David S. Pumpkins? It's David S. Pumpkins. I'm hoping that David S. Pumpkins makes a return to SNL with Halloween coming up. David S. Pumpkins? Wow, Jeffrey with a quick interjection. He was <laughs> Jeffrey. all over that. You see, Jeff, Jeff knows exactly where I was going with that. He must be as excited about that possibility as I am. You know am. what? Honestly, if he talks about it anymore, I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> Do you guys really are that into David S. Pumpkins? That was one of those obscure things that had no reason to be as big as it was and became huge, and it became even more funny because of it. Hey, I'm with you, Matt. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why. I just Googled why it, thing had and it's so not much, that funny. <laughs> gets so much attention. Yeah, that's kind of awkward in a big way. <laughs> hey, we got to let you talk about your show. What's coming up on your show today? Why the BYU-Utah game is so much bigger than just the rivalry factor this mm. year. Everyone gets stuck in the craw of the, I can't stand losing to those guys anymore. <laughs> it's way bigger than that for the status and success of BYU football moving forward. It's bigger than just the rivalry. Totally. We're also going to talk with the last BYU quarterback to beat Utah. Max Hall will Does join Does he the believe in curses? Ah. We're going to ask scary. the man. And Greg Rubel. And Greg Rubel. And got behind the mic tonight on BYU Radio. That's awesome. And a, and a revisitation of, for a, or a visit from David S. Pumpkin. Pumpkins. <laughs> Don't stuff. encourage it, Matt. I'm gonna, I'm, we've got a couple minutes before the show starts. <laughs> okay. I'm rewatching go it. Look, go look it up, gentlemen. Have a great show about four and a half minutes away, folks. They're locked and loaded. And who knows? Maybe David S. Pumpkins will make an appearance. Oh, that is just so – Tom Hanks apparently playing They probably don't have Mr. the budget Pumpkins. for Tom Hanks. Yeah, but maybe they just call it in. Maybe it's a call in, you know. So, you know, after they did that sketch, the David S. Pumpkins costume for Halloween sold out like that. Did it you really? You can't get it. How, where was I? I missed all of this. <laughs> like I never knew David S. Pumpkins was something big. Now I feel bad. Oh, I'm so not cool. I'm tired, Jeff, of not being cool. Anyway, let's get to our hero story. The hero, again, it's got to come out of Houston, doesn't it? Uh, A Houston officer rescues nearly 1,500 flood victims while battling stage four cancer. I feel great. I feel good. I feel strong. Our words from Houston police officer Burt Ramon as he became one of of the big heroes of Hurricane Harvey, helping nearly 1,500 people. Many were children. All were desperate. This is one where we unloaded all of the seniors from an assisted living facility near uh, the center in Kingwood. You've worked Hurricanes Allison and Rita. You've helped evacuees during Hurricane Katrina, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's. these are all the things he has done in his lifetime as a 20-year veteran. He now has stage 4 cancer. It's spread from his colon to his liver and his lungs. I just said... You know, he does He does know his platelet counts are low, so he can bump and bruise easily. But he says, I just have to do what I have to do. So Ramon uh, went out and worked the flood like no one else. And he is now um, not just a hero, but 
really somebody that's out there inspiring others to to do good and to be good. He said, God answered my prayer. I came out of this flood. I hope I can expire, uh, inspire other cancer patients that, uh, you know, don't let, don't let your cancer hold you back. If you feel strong, don't uh, let it take over your life at all. So, Officer Bert Ramon, you are the hero of the day from the Matt Townsend Show. And again, there's just goodness everywhere on the earth. We have to be willing to look for it. And maybe more importantly, we need to be able to overcome ourselves to go be the good in the world. That's the goal of this show. We'll be back again tomorrow, 9 to noon Eastern time, right here on BYU Radio. Uh, But until then, let's take care of each other and let's get ready because BYU Sports Nation, it's up next.